Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. We have played softball. What a time to be alive. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, we have seen opening weekend. Tangible results are in our hands. Tom, how are you feeling? Actual things have happened. Results are here. I'm very excited. We have true data, not yes. statistical data from the past. We have like actual tangible yes. final scores. From 2024. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> what an opening weekend it was. There's going to be a lot that we're going to cover on this episode of the Out of the Box podcast. And Tom, I think before we go into a trip around the bases, we have to cover the biggest story in the sport that dropped earlier today. Jordy Ball, the famed Oklahoma transfer, now Nebraska pitcher, announced on Instagram that because of an ACL injury, she sustained in literally like the first three innings of the first game of the year. She is redshirting the rest of the season. We will see her again in 2025 and 2026. But Tom, this is obviously a huge blow in a lot of ways. First off, just brutal for softball. This is one of the people that folks thought would take up the mantle as face of softball. If she wasn't already that quite frankly. So to have her out for an entire year, essentially is brutal. The big 10, Nebraska was kind of the bell cow for getting back to Oklahoma city and actually having a chance to win a national championship. That feels highly unlikely now. And then obviously for Nebraska, this season was built around Jordy coming home, Jordy being there. They sold these extra tickets. They'd increase capacity. There was as much buzz about softball in Nebraska as there's been in a very, very long time. And it's still a good team. They've still got some people. It wasn't all Jordy, but obviously this is just a brutal, brutal blow to a program that we were all excited to watch this year. Yeah, unfortunately, I think like the the main comparison you could make to it is Aaron Rodgers and what happened yeah. to him in the NFL and to the New York Jets because the entire offseason, everything was just built around, you know, he's coming to New York. We're going to make a Super Bowl possible champion out of this team that hasn't had that in a long time. And then literally on the first three plays of the season, he goes down with a season-ending injury very similar to what happened with Jordy ball. And it sucks. It's, it's really, it, yeah. it's just, it's brutal for her. It's brutal for Nebraska. It's brutal for everybody involved. And it just kind of shows you too, like how freaking deep Oklahoma was like, you know, Oklahoma loses Jordy ball and they're still the prohibitive favorite to win the world series. Nebraska loses Jordy ball. And now we're not even sure they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it is, just like I said, just just really, really tough for everyone involved. And uh, we wish her the best and hopefully everything goes well and she can come back full strength next season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, watching the video, I felt like I'd seen it before. Yeah. And that made me nervous. There were initially some reports that made it sound like, you know, maybe it's okay. But uh, unfortunately, Jordy is out for the year and you're exactly right. We wish her well in her recovery. We wish her well in her rehab. And we certainly hope that we will see her again next year, fully ready to go for Nebraska. And I really hope everyone that had, you know, all the Nebraska fans or anyone that had bought tickets and was planning on supporting Nebraska this year, doesn't bail on them. I hope hope that, you know, all the expansions, everything else they did still go and support Nebraska, support, you know, the the team as they are now uh, and help them uh, continue to elevate that program so that they can, you know, do get the best they can out of this year and be ready for her return in 2025. So our best wishes to Jordy, our best wishes to that entire program as they try and figure out what next. And 
as we transition from that, we can talk about what we've got on the rundown because we'll discuss Nebraska a little bit later on in the show, but we'll begin at the plate and talk about Alabama sweeping the buzz classic, multiple sports center esque defensive plays, Tom, plenty of good, plenty of great and a few mess to talk about from opening weekend because you don't want to be at your very best the first five games of the year. Yeah. And it, it's, I think it's great that we're going to talk about mess as opposed to, well, that was terrible. Yeah. There's not, there's pretty much none of that. So that's a positive. Uh, and yeah, I, I thought for an opening weekend, um, not the greatest weather you were dealing with, a, a field that you didn't know a whole lot about. You knew there were some quality players there, but you didn't know what the teams were going to be really like. Um, I thought it was about as good as you could do on opening weekend. I was very, I was very impressed and satisfied with everybody overall for week one. Yeah. After that, we'll advance to first. And the audio that you will hear in that segment will be our discussion about SEC teams from our Softball America podcast. It just means more softball, which as you're listening to this aired last night. Yeah. So go listen to that too, because it, that out. it features an interview with our pal Larissa Anderson from Missouri. And you get to see us. Yes, which many of you probably have no idea so, what we look yeah. like. So sorry, but... Or you're welcome. <laughs> So that audio is advancing to first regular pod. After that, we'll be stealing second with Michelle Smith from ESPN, a BFD big freaking deal that softball was on ESPN opening weekend. Michelle, will talk about that, but Tom, I love when we get one of the legends of the game, the, the main analyst for ESPN, because I always feel like she drops a little kernel of knowledge here and there. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation with Michelle as I always do. Yeah. There's, there's going to really good stuff there from Michelle and, yeah, like you said, just a huge deal at softball was on regular ESPN first weekend, you know, February, a very jam-packed sports month. You know, you got basketball, both men's and women's basketball, football's wrapping up. I don't know if people know this, but the Super Bowl was this past Super Bowl, weekend. You're right, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff happening in February, but for softball to be able to carve a little a little spot in there, very big time. After that, we'll round third and look at all the big games this weekend, mainly Clearwater. Right. And we'll discuss some of the big-time matchups. Plus, that will be the new home for ACL Player of the Week. Oh, okay. Yes, as we adjust to life of live podcasting. Finally, we'll head home. We will play everyone's favorite after-week one game, the overreaction game. Okay, I have a few. Yes, and then we've got Off the Wall, we've got Tom's Hungry, and then we'll wrap it up. Off the wall, Alabama went five and zero. Oh. I can't imagine there's anything. You fool! How? <laughs> come on, come on, Tom. Oh, go no. on, son. They were the the OGs were out this yeah. weekend. Indeed, a few that I didn't see because they blocked me in 2019. Oh, there you go. Reading facts. Anyway, tweet That's us about real data. How dare? <laughs> Add out of the box underscore pod on the X. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review. And you know what? Do all that too for it just means more softball. Subscribe to the YouTube. Yeah. Help us. Yeah. You are assisting our efforts by subscribing to the YouTube and watching those. Okay. Alabama sweeps the Buzz Classic. You get through one game against Villanova opening night in the frigid temperatures. It was not my favorite. No. Not quite Mardi Gras Mambo Mambo. No, but no. We were like 70% of the way there. We were getting there. Yeah. If we'd had to play another hour, might have been that that level. No, I would have been charging into the press box and say, you know what? Make some room. Move. We're coming in. 
Friday, sweep of Longwood and Georgia Tech. Saturday, sweep of Longwood and Georgia Tech. Tom, as always, we will begin with the good. This will take a while. It will. First bullet point, Audi's rule. Just the outfield. This is a bit of a problem as well because there are so many options, but Christian White did not play this weekend. Patrick Murphy talked about it, had a minor, minor surgery a couple weeks ago. She's going to be back sooner rather than later. So without her, you still had really, really strong weekends from Lauren Johnson, Jenna Johnson, Larissa Pruitt, Kendall Clark. Now, not necessarily all strong in the same thing. Jenna and Larissa not on fire at the plate, although they had some quality at bats. But Lauren, your co-SEC freshman of the week, Kendall Clark showed us a lot of stuff. And so now Alabama has five legitimate outfield options, and there are only three spots. Yeah, talk about taking advantage of your uh, of your opportunity. Lauren Johnson gets an opportunity to get big playing time and starts because Kristen White is not available, and she just goes and becomes the co-SEC freshman of, of the week. Yeah, make, making – plays both in the field and was on base all weekend long. Yep. Uh, drove in runs from the bottom of the order. Just really, really impressive from the freshman. Yeah. I was very impressed with basically anybody that has an OF by their name did really, really well. Even some, even Cat grill who didn't get an opportunity right. to start when given the, when given an at bat knocked in a couple of runs. So, you know, there, there are, a lot of great options in the outfield for Alabama. One of those that we have penciled in as a, a starter this year and probably Alabama's leadoff hitter, not even available. And Alabama did not miss a beat. Yeah. And that was kind of the thing with Jenna. Another reason why I wasn't super concerned by what was batting average wise, a pretty subpar weekend for her. A, she hit the ball hard at times, right at people, unfortunately. B, this hopefully knock on wood is the only weekend where she's the leadoff because odds are Kristen White, once she comes back, will fill that role. The problem is, okay, so presumably that means Jenna in left and Larissa in right, but wait now, what about Lauren? Right. So it's, it, it is going to be complex for Patrick Murphy, and we might just see a different outfield every game depending on who the best matchup is and who's hot. Which is funny because if you listen to our preseason preview, you're like, well, we know what the outfield is. Yeah. Was, I was so we were set. Ready. It was locked in. It's like, how could anyone beat <laughs> Oh Hello Lojo? Yes, here she is. So it's going to give Patrick Murphy the opportunity to play some matchups and do some other things that, you know, we thought he was going to do with some of the infield positions, but he's going to be able to do it with the outfield as well. As far as, you know, who's going to DP. I would like to petition that we start four outfielders. I don't know if that will happen, but there is a lot of different ways he can go. Good luck. Yeah. With that. So that kind of transitions into the next really good bullet point, which is defense. Defense as a whole, one error on the weekend, and even that was somewhat questionable. Yeah. On the call. Bailey Dowling, Kahalen, Hevlin, whoever you put it first, Esman or Dukeshire. I thought all three catchers caught really good games, like hello, Emma Broadfoot. I was yeah. very impressed by her performance behind the plate. A couple caught ceilings in there as well. That's right. All the pitchers fielded their position really well. I tweeted this out, and I still firmly believe it. I think that this team has the potential to be the best defensive Alabama team of any that I've covered. I have been just blown away by their ability in practice and now in games. Like, it, it was – everyone looked so calm, and there was just – there was no rushing. Everything was just very smooth on defense. We had a player make a catch that was a grand slam stealing 
over the wall catch and led to what we thought was a triple play. It ended up just being a double play for like 12 minutes. Oh my gosh. Listen was, to that audio, yeah. by the way, it's on this feed. And there's the discussion of whether or not that was the best play in the outfield that weekend. Right. Kind of, kind of tells you how things were going defensively for the Crimson Tide. Yeah. And by the way, the highlights that we showed were just from two of the five games. There were other great catches right. made in the games where we were it <laughs> media wise. Yes, correct. So look, I, I think defenses can be really good. And that, that backs up the pitching staff, which was very, very effective. Kayla Beaver, a no hitter to start her Alabama career. Jocelyn Brisky pitched really well under the lights. Uh, also shout out to Beaver in game two, buckling down as well. I thought Jayla Torrance and Ailey Johnson had some flashes. Jayla, not her best performance, but guess what? If you're a little off, you've got five other people that you can throw in there right. to settle the game down. The thing that stuck out to me, though, Tom, is when Patrick Murphy did make changes, typically they're with people on base. Last year, we saw those pitchers give up the inherited runs. Not an issue really at all opening weekend. Yeah, even that game, like we're talking about, that in Alabama ended up pitching three different people, starting with Jayla, and then Ailey pitched in that one as well. But you have those two, and they probably didn't have their best stuff that day. They People were on base but Alabama went three straight innings. The opponent had runners on second and third and did not score. Right. So, I mean, that's sometimes that's what you got to do. You got to find ways to win when you don't have your best stuff. And Alabama was able to do that. Uh, I thought also going back to the defense for just a second, I thought that the game one against Villanova, you know, Beavers out there throwing a, a no hitter and striking out of Lee 14 in that ball game. Yep. So there weren't that many chances for the defense, but when the chances did come, they were solid and it did you know it didn't phase them. That was tough considering how cold it was. Uh, not many chances. It was very easy for you know get stiff and then make a mistake. Uh, the defense did not do that at all. Yeah, and by the way, we had traveled over that day, right. so it was kind of already a weird. It was a long day. Yes. So pitching great. I also want to make sure that we mentioned Lauren Esman, who came in closed out one of the Longwood games. I really think I like that role. She's so different from a staff that is very different already mm -hmm. that I like her as a matchup. Like, you know what? Come in, get three, four outs, get five outs, maybe take on these lefties. I think that that Lauren has the capability to be that person. And that's something we've been, I don't necessarily want to say calling for, but something that we've been wondering about for years. Does Alabama have a quote unquote closer? I could see Lauren Esman maybe being that type of pitcher this year. Yeah, she definitely can be. And I mean, there's, I don't think you're going to see a situation where she is the, you know, full-time closer. All right, we get to the seventh inning, time to send in Lauren. Right. That's not going to be the case, but it will be a great spot if, all right, you are going into the sixth or seventh inning and they have two or three lefties coming up. Let's throw Lauren out there and, and really mess up with uh, the timing of some of these left-handed hitters. So there's a lot of different ways you can use in that. I think that's something when we talk to Patrick Murphy and we're going to be able to see as the season goes on, we're going to see pitchers that maybe, you know, you go a weekend or something and somebody doesn't pitch. You're like, well, what's wrong? Well, the matchup just didn't really work out, but then they're right. going to be very, very important the next weekend. So kind of like with the hitters, you got to be ready when your opportunity is called, when your number gets called, same thing for the pitchers when you have this deep of a staff. And same for the hitters, like the next person I'm going to mention, I'm going to do a little rhyming. Abby Dukeshire, RBI producer. Kind of works. It fits. 471 average opening weekend with seven RBIs. Her first collegiate homer, a couple doubles. She had a hit in every game. 
Hello, Abby Dukeshire. What a way to start off her sophomore year. I think we all thought that was going to happen. <laughs> I, I mean, I figured she was going to be a starter, right. but in the three spot to right. close out the weekend? Had the most overall hits of the weekend for Alabama. Eight total hits and 17 at-bats and just an RBI machine and 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 did it from different parts in the lineup. Like you said, well, by the end of the by the end of the weekend, she was up to number three hole, but she was doing it at the bottom of the order too in the first couple of games. How many times have we seen young players and sophomores are still young, young players get moved up in the lineup like that and boom over three? Yeah. And, and Abby Dusher was like, bet, and actually had one of her better games of the of a great weekend. Yeah. I was very, I was very impressed with that in particular. And, you know, I think we saw that from some of these other players as well that we're going to talk about. Somebody like Dukeshire, who, you know, second year in the program, got just some spot opportunities last year, but not a whole lot, uh, taking that next step. And that's what, you know, that's what we have to see from this team. You, some of these players that haven't had the the most experience are going to have to step up and, and take that next step forward. And Abby certainly did that this past weekend. She wasn't the RBI leader, though. That was Callie Hevlin. Who hit 333, drove in eight runs, a homer, two doubles. Look, Callie is a perfect back half of the order player. I think she's not going to hit 380. 330 is a really, really strong weekend average for Callie, but it's all about when she gets those hits, whenever they come, for them to matter. And to get eight RBIs on five hits, three of your hits are for extra bases. That is the kind of game, the kind of weekend that Alabama needs from Callie Hevlin. I thought she looked really comfortable at the plate. I was very impressed by her approach, the pitches that she was going after. I thought that, as we discussed on the broadcast, Callie is like the purest example of someone who's gotten better each and every year. And then obviously we talked about the glove earlier, just as reliable as ever. Yeah, that was one one thing about Callie. Like, well, you definitely want her in the lineup because, because of that glove that she has at second base. Uh, the offense is going to have to continue to improve and, and take those steps for her to stay in there offensively. And man, we've seen her do that here. Uh, and we've seen these type of weekends or type of game or twos in flashes from Callie Hevlin. Uh, but last year, opening yeah, weekend, absolutely. a great example. Yeah. And then, you know, the Tennessee weekend, there were several really great weekends. It was that we were looking for the consistency. If Callie can be consistent in what she did here this past weekend, Moving forward, I think Alabama's got a really big weapon, like you said, in the second half of the lineup. Maybe Lauren Essman is also one of those middle of a lineup, back half of a lineup weapons as we move forward. Five RBIs on four hits over the weekend, hit 333 overall in the Buzz Classic with a couple doubles mixed in there. Saw her at first base, saw her at DP. We, I mean, she is kind of the Swiss Army knife for Patrick Murphy. She also plays a little outfield, so you can throw her really anywhere that you want, although I'm not sure there's outfield yeah. space. I think outfield's fine, right, but thank you. <laughs> but good to see Lauren really get it going opening weekend and provide another option for Patrick Murphy. Yeah, and it's one of those things where a lot of people probably looked at her thinking, well, you, you just hope you can use her in the circle a little bit. Right. Might not have been thinking about, well, she can really be an offensive weapon for Patrick Murphy as well. We talked um, about it at the end yeah. of last year, how it was clear that she was seeing it better. Right. And, you know, a, a off season with Caleb Bro with Adam Arbor, and as things have uh, continued to uh, evolve in that function as well for Alabama, Lauren Esman might be one of the biggest uh, beneficiaries of that coming into this year. Kenley Cahalan in the two spot, 
Thursday was weird. That was like a just a bad game for Kinley. That'll happen three times this year. Right. But if, God to get one out of the way. Yeah. No, so one is gone. <laughs> All right. Kinley, outside of that opening game, went six for 13 with three RBIs, a homer. Overall for the weekend, hit 375. I love her in the two spot. I think in particular that's going to be even more deadly once Kristen White comes back and can already be at second base by the time Kinley sees a second pitch. Yeah. I, I just I, I thought that Kinley showed a very professional approach to her at bats. It did not seem like Thursday bothered her at all. And I I can't wait to see her continue to progress this year because you talk to anybody who has worked on mechanics with Kinley and seen her up close, they'll say she's one of the most talented hitters that they've seen in a long time. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why she was as highly uh, rated recruit as she was when she came in a year early last year, if we, if we haven't mentioned that as well. So, you know, now she's actually of college age and she is really settled in. Practically yes. a grandmother. Right. So, uh, yeah, if, if she can settle in, love her in the two spot, you know, I think she batted third in the first game against Villanova, if I'm not mistaken. Either. Yeah, that's right. Larissa was in the two spot. Right. So, you know, even that, you know, okay, well, we tried it at the three. It was a weird game. It was a weird day. Moved her up to the two and really felt comfortable. The meh as we move on from the good. Were there any other goods that you want to highlight? Well, you know, we talked about Lauren becoming the uh, SEC co-freshman of the week. They had the highest batting average on the team, five, uh, 545. Played in, all, in four of the five games and scored four runs and also had three stolen bases. She, she mm-hmm. had half of the team's stolen bases for the weekend as well. Just really an added... Um, weapon in this lineup that you maybe weren't thinking of uh, after week one. All right, let's go to the meh. The meh weekend for Bailey Dowling historically hasn't really kind of ever started off a year well. Still had five hits, average to hit a game. Right, and and so the way I've got it written is kind of up and down days. Like the, yeah. the first couple games, not great. Looked a lot better on Sunday in particular. Was, was really good in that Longwood game and uh, had some quality at-bats against Georgia Tech. I think, again, the key word for Bailey Dowling is just consistency. The RBIs are going to come. Weirdly, only one opening weekend. But I think that if she can keep doing what she did right at the end of the event for an entire weekend, there won't be any issues. Yeah, I'm not not particularly worried about Bailey. You know, she's going to be there uh, when it counts. And, yeah, sometimes it just takes uh, a week or two to kind of get rolling. So, um, yeah, I'm not not concerned. The other meh, uh, Marley Giles, kind of a little tweakage in the first game of the year. So we only saw her at the plate one more time after the Villanova win. I I mean, I saw her at practice today. She looked fine. I don't think it's anything serious, but I really wish that we'd gotten more Marley because she had three plate appearances, two, stop me if you've heard this before, walks. (laughs) And I just, I want to see the Marley that I have seen all off season, which is maybe the person on this roster that I trust the most for a quality at bat. Yeah. And, and you will. And uh, like I said, it, it was not a serious injury, just a little knee tweak. And uh, if there's one position where you don't want to have any knee issues, it is catcher. Right. So, you know, no reason to, to try to uh, push anything, especially when you have somebody like Riley Valentine that's available. So uh, hopefully we'll get to see Marley. Uh, back at it here this weekend in Tuscaloosa. The other meh I've got is Kendall Clark when it's not in play. So finished four for 11 with five strikeouts. So when it's in play, 
four for six, 667 average. That's dope. When it's not in play, typically, or well, when it's not in play, it's a strikeout. And right. that happened a little bit too, too much. much. Sure. But at the same time, it was also kind of what I thought we'd see as she gets ready to continue to adjust to D1 pitching. So that's why I've got it in the mag category, even though five strikeouts is a lot for opening weekend. It, to me, doesn't overshadow a lot of the good that we saw from Kendall Clark at the plate. Sure. And I mean, you got a real, got a lot of really good at bats from Kendall Clark outside the strikeouts. And if you're, if your thing is you got to get used to D one pitching, the only way you can do that is to see D one pitching. Right. So, you know, sometimes you got to take a little bit of the, uh, of the learning curve with, uh, with Kendall when she's up there, but man, when she makes contact. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's smoked. So yeah, you'll you'll take a few few bumps in the road, uh, strikeout wise in that situation. But you know, I, I'm glad to see her get get these opportunities. And I think she'll continue to get them. Outside of the meh, I mean, the bad is is not a super long list. I, I guess Larissa Pruitt was kind of the only person who really truly wasn't very productive offensively. Yeah, her one base hit was a swinging bunt that she beat out, and otherwise it looked a little bit like she wasn't committed to either slapping or swinging away and because of that they just they weren't yeah her best but look i i feel like i know larissa pretty well at this point it doesn't seem like that'll phase her and uh you also still need her out there because again just a phenomenal outfielder right and you know and i think that kind of shows uh her mental capabilities that you know struggling at the plate she was put in as a defensive replacement at the end of the Georgia Tech game and then makes the play of what it might end up being the play of the year. Right. So, so I mean, you know. We say that now, but. but hope, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be more, you know, but well, I think at the end of the year when I'm making my highlight tape of the season, that the end of the game will probably make it in, in that the Georgia Tech game. Will the end of the Georgia Tech game make it in the moments pod? Will it be one of the top five moments of the year? I mean, the thing, like last year, it's I, so hard for regular right. season games to get in. I'd say last year, all five of the games were postseason. Yeah, so just depends. I, in a way, I hope not because that means Alabama will do a lot of great stuff in the postseason. If we expand it to maybe ten plays, ten moments, oh. I think maybe you're trying to give me more work. That's a long, Tom. that's a long podcast. Yeah, well, who's surprised? It's us. <laughs> I guess this upcoming weekend, it's the Bama Bash, folks. It's going to be a little chilly. There might be some weather. We're just warning you now. Be prepared for I mean, adjusting times. I just I just looked at it. The percentage for rain has actually gone way down. So hence the might, because yes. we also thought on Saturday that we weren't going to play softball at all in Atlanta. We got in two full games. Sure. So yeah. now maybe Georgia Tech might have argued for maybe stalling one of them. Right. Sure. But either way, I'm just... Warning all of you now, check your apps, be prepared, don't be caught by surprise by anything. Yeah. Friday, St. Thomas at 4 p.m. Central, Virginia 6.30 p.m. Central. Then Saturday, St. Thomas at 11 a.m., Virginia at 1.30 p.m. Sunday, Southern Indiana at 1 p.m. Central time. Your viewing and listening schedules, Gray and Tao on SEC Network Plus on Friday, Tom Radio Solo Friday. Saturday, multi-platform excellence is back. We are both the radio and the TV. Hooray! And then, Tom, you are both the radio and the TV solo on Sunday as I am off at Coleman Coliseum with the women's basketball team. Okay. So, lineups? I almost don't even want to discuss it because, A, I'm not 100% sure that 
whether or not Kristen White will be back this weekend. Right. B, uh, whether she is or not, I'm still confused. Like, I think the emphasis will be a couple things. A, making sure that the people celebrating their senior days get some starts, and there are many of those this weekend. And B, we're probably going to see a lot of Marley Giles if she is good to go just because she didn't have a chance to catch this past weekend. Yeah, so I think health of Giles and White will make a huge difference in what type of lineup Patrick Murphy puts out there. Uh, I am just interested to see whether White is available or not. What is the outfield plan? Right. Uh, you know, because it'd be so easy to throw one of them at DP, but oh no, now we've got Dukeshire and Esmond right. who both play first base. Yeah. And then what happens if Lauren Esmond does get a start? Does she also hit in that game? Oh, there's, uh, there's so many different things happening. But what's exciting is like everyone's doing well, which is why there are so many different things. Right. Now, you want to be able to like have 15 people in the starting lineup right now. So it's a great problem to have, but also, you know, a different type of puzzle that Patrick Murphy has put together. Pitching. Look, kind of, kind of saying, yeah, I mean, it's however you want to do it. The one thing I kind of feel strongly about is if the weather holds off, if we're good to go, kind of want to see Brisky Friday night against Virginia, just to give her that big home game under the lights, that kind of experience early before we actually play big sec home games under the lights later on this year and by the way shout out to to beaver and what she was able to do this past weekend Mm. throwing a no hitter in her debut for alabama we talked about it a lot but you know somebody that transferred from central arkansas grew up an alabama fan is her literally her dream is to play softball to alabama getting a chance to do it here her her last year and to throw a no hitter in your first in your first game pretty storybook and then beaver also in that second game against georgia tech going another complete game, had another no-hitter through five, uh, and then to be able to focus at the end after all the craziness that happened with the possible triple play that was called back, Mm. uh, and then just to bear down and get that strikeout at the end, uh, fought through a shake, her first real shaky inning in the seventh when the bases were loaded, nobody out. Uh, Really great job by Beaver all weekend long. Yeah, I think... Beaver and Brisky will be the two starters against Virginia. Like I said, I would go Brisky Friday night at Beaver Saturday. But I, look, I think at this point, the way the staff is, you kind of feel comfortable with whatever. I also would like to see Alex Alter this weekend if she's good yeah. to go. I know that in the fall and at times in the offseason, she's kind of been dealing with a little bit of a nagging injury. If she's good to go, this is a great weekend to get her some innings. All right, Tom. We're at the plate, but it's time to advance to first. Who are we? Well, yeah, I think we should be the SEC co-freshman of the week. I agree. We are Lojo going big, getting yes. big like her walk-up song. You'll hear that this weekend, but she offered a spoiler to me and SID extraordinary Nathan Sheehan at practice for Lauren Johnson. All right, let's do it. When we come back, diving we'll... catches all over the place. Sure. That, that doesn't get us on base, but no, sure. Yeah. When we come back, we'll be advancing to first. You will hear the audio from It Just Means More Softball, the episode that aired last night and is also available on all audio platforms, especially Apple Podcasts, I believe for now only Apple Podcasts, but then eventually all audio platforms. So that will be the discussion next. We'll be right back here on the Other Box Podcast. podcast you know about the bit who's pitching 
Who's pitching? Look, the Kentucky Wildcats have found some answers. And before we dive into what Kentucky did this weekend, a quick reminder. If you want to join in the conversation, the chat is open on YouTube. So go to the YouTube live stream, join in the chat. If you have questions about the SEC, please do not hesitate to ask and make sure that you subscribe to Softball America on YouTube, follow on Twitter, X, and all that fun stuff, like on Facebook. Tom, Kentucky with SEC Pitcher of the Week, Stephanie Schoonover, and of course, the Rutgers transfer, Jaden Vickers. They both got victories over Stanford, part of a 4-1 and weekend for the Kentucky Wildcats. They do lose to uh, San Diego State, but Schoonover, 15 innings, just one earned run allowed. Vickers, nine innings on the weekend, just one earned run allowed. Aaron Koffel hit 250, but had a couple RBIs. The team batting average a little low, but they were playing Nyjah Kennedy, so whatever yeah. Kentucky had a great start to the year. Yeah. That's the thing. One of those victories against Stanford was against Kennedy. So a really great performance by Kentucky. Definitely probably not what you thought was going to happen when you looked at that schedule uh, for the first weekend for them to go to California and get a couple of victories over Stanford. Uh, a really impressive performance uh, by Rachel Lawson's club. Yeah, and Stephanie Schoonover, I mean, we talked about it last year. Her health was a big story. It kind of brought back the who's pitching bit because we had questions when she went down, and Kentucky had questions too. It was a, a very confounding season at times in the circle, but now she's healthy, she's back, and apparently Vickers is really, really strong, absolutely shutting down Stanford. So all of a sudden, not who's pitching because, well, we don't know who it is, Who's pitching because there are a lot of really good options that you can trust if you're the Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, the emergence of Vickers to be a part of that uh, rotation is huge for them adding additional depth behind Schoonover. So to be able to give have both of those where you can't just say, well, Schoonover is going to have to pitch you know, every big game Kentucky plays in. Uh, now they, they have some more depth in the pitching circle uh, at, and it helps you when you have a weekend where your offense maybe doesn't put up the numbers you you would like for them to to have that pitching staff and that depth. Yeah, if you had told me before the weekend that Kentucky would hit 235, I'd say, uh-oh, what, yeah. what's the record? But the pitching was strong enough to where they were able to balance it out. And that's why Kentucky is our leadoff story in the quick hits portion of the show. Now, next we have to talk about Arkansas, a bit of a sloppy weekend for the Razorbacks. They did finish off their trip down to Florida with a loss to Penn state three to two in extra innings team batting average of three Oh six. Reagan Johnson was really strong hit 510 of 20 Nia Carter as good as we thought she'd be. Bree Ellis hit it well, but a little surprising to see Arkansas, not well for the sec this weekend, quote unquote struggle, but the team ERA is presently last in the sec at two thirty one. It's not a bad number by any means, but I'm surprised that it's Arkansas down there at the bottom. Yeah, you know, we knew Arkansas was going to have the offense. It was whether or not their the pitching staff was going to be be able to hold up their end of the bargain and uh, struggling a little bit here on opening weekend and the loss to Penn State. Penn State had a great opening weekend overall. They were undefeated. So, you know, maybe it's more about maybe Penn State's better than, than we were thinking they were going to be. But at the same time, I think that might be in a weekend that saw a lot of surprising results. Penn State over Arkansas might have been the most surprising. Yeah, and that was right after Arkansas struggled to put away Michigan State. That was a 6-5 win for the yeah. Razorbacks. And, you know, none of this, it's opening weekend, guys. Yeah. None of this is cause for pressing a panic button. 
just like you said, Tom, surprising. I was surprised to see Arkansas struggle. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, it certainly doesn't mean that Arkansas is going to be under five hundred this year or anything. It, you know, they 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 had a weekend. It's fine. <laughs> Don't be rational, Tom. I'm sorry. Not, <laughs> not on the SEC podcast. We can't do it. <laughs> of course not. It just means more. It does. I mean, it just means more softball. Shrug, head tilt. I mean, that's it. <laughs> sure. All right. So there was some craziness down on the plains as we move on to Auburn. I, I oh, wrote down no. uh, rain shenanigans in Auburn. So the Tigers played Virginia Tech. It was one to one, leaving regulation. They go to the eighth, and the Hokies put up a seven spot. Okay, that's eye opening. Auburn beats Belmont. Then the Tigers play Virginia Tech again. Virginia Tech has a nine five lead in the seventh, but rain causes the game to be delayed and then eventually called and the score reverts back to the previous inning, which leads to a tie. So five to five, your final score, Virginia tech and Auburn. I mean, yes, the seventh inning statistically did not happen, Tom, but we were tracking it on stats and for Auburn, just a, a surprisingly meh weekend all over the place. Yeah. And just the, the late inning issues that they're that they're having with giving up those big innings uh you know that it was the eighth inning giving up a seven spot in game one against virginia tech game two it ended up not counting but in the seventh inning giving up the four runs um i think that that might be a little bit more of a cause for concern because one you're playing a team that i would i would probably equate in where they fall in their conference the acc virginia tech probably upper middle of the pack with capability of beating anybody. Same thing goes probably for Auburn for the SEC. So I I think it it was a little bit of a struggle, especially being at Auburn to uh, not being able to get at least one of those wins. The chat is open. We have some people checking in. Hello. Hi. We also have some big 12 fans checking out their future home. Hi. Hello. Longhorns. We welcome you. Uh, One more note on Auburn. 14 runs allowed, only six of those earned, Tom. So not only were they committing errors, they had four of them opening weekend, but the joking stat we always reference, points off turnovers, they were Mm -hmm. allowing a lot of unearned runs in this first weekend and only three games. I'm not sure what their time of possession was, but their points off turnovers was not a good stat for them. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, you got to be clean, um, especially playing, you know, the, the higher ranked teams, in you know week one, you got you're looking for clean softball, and Auburn did not give it here this weekend. Not at all. Matty Pinta, 16 strikeouts and 11 and two thirds innings of work, seven runs allowed, only three of those earned. So something to watch going forward. Auburn will head to Puerto Vallarta this weekend. You can't strike everybody out when they put it in play. The defense has to help you out. That's true. Some people have tried, but you cannot actually every time strike <laughs> right. everyone out. So let's move on to Tennessee, who found some late heroics from Destiny Martinez in game one of two against Baylor, a pinch hit two run homer with two outs on the first pitch of the at bat. Destiny Rodriguez sent it way out over center field for her first collegiate home run madness. Tennessee wins three, two in Waco. And then Lady Vols run roughshod over uh, over Baylor nine to one in run rule fashion in the second game. So a a strong start for Tennessee, Riley West, your sec player of the week after hitting seven fourteen with six RBIs. Yes, that's pretty good. Yeah. And you know, 
unfortunately didn't get to see game three because it was washed out. But, uh, you know, you, you're going to have to be able to win different types of games if you're going to go to where Tennessee wants to go this year and, and to be able to win a close one and then a, a blowout. I think it was a really good start on the road in addition to what they did at Arlington the day before. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a really good start for Karen Weekly's squad. Um, Riley West just gangbusters out of the gate. Um, there, that is a that's an excellent team uh, that is going to win a lot more games like this. Interesting debate, and somebody in the comments has asked Fang Nye, Tennessee is number two over Texas. A lot of discussion in the rankings this week between who should be number two, Tennessee or Texas. I had Texas. I had Texas preseason. I've been very open about that. But the beautiful thing is we're going to find out this weekend. So. I was going to say, we're going we're gonna to be able to answer the question. They're literally going to play each other on a neutral site this weekend. So should be a lot of fun. Florida pitching. Let's go. A1. Phenomenal. Offense. Hmm. So the Gators beat Oregon State 1-0. They lost in 10 innings, 2-1 to Michigan, a game where Michigan had one hit. Florida had 10. So, and then after that, Florida dominated who they were supposed to dominate, Bethune-Cookman, South Florida, the rest of the gang, Illinois State, their longtime rival. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at those first two games, though. Maybe it's, you know, first two game jitters. I mean, who's to say we don't want to judge a lot, but it was it was surprising to see the Florida offense, which I thought would be the strength, struggle as much as it did, and the pitching was just lights out all weekend. Yeah, it was a great performance. The, the question mark pitching-wise for Florida would be, would the freshmen be able to uh, kind of live up to their their hype? And for week one, again, not you know, not top 10 uh, competition, but, you know, they got went out and played well against who they were against. Um, and, you know, no surprise, Scott Wallace, you know, did did what she does. Uh, Going to have to get a little bit more from everybody else. But uh, for week one, I think Florida, um, I don't know if they've answered all the questions we have, but they certainly um, ha- have made you think maybe uh, you can be a little bit more optimistic moving forward. Yeah, Keegan Rothrock, a .74 ERA on the weekend, gave up just two earned runs in 19 innings. They actually just beat Jacksonville. I haven't checked to see who pitched that. But shout out to Olivia Miller, the other uh, SEC co-fresher of the week, along with Alabama's Lauren Johnson, after her perfect game against Bethune-Cookman. South Carolina swept the weekend, not necessarily convincingly, but they won every game, which is what you want to do. No run rules, took extras to beat Jacksonville State. Team batting average 285, but Riley Blampede hit 588. She was phenomenal. A little surprised we didn't see Vauder hit. I, I thought that that would be part of the deal. And then the team ERA, 175, just like a, a perfectly normal weekend for the Gamecocks. Not, not super impressive, but at the same time, first five games of the year, you really don't have to be. You just have to try and figure out who you are. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's a home uh tournament to start things off first weekend i think it's actually a kind of a a positive for south carolina that you know you have a weekend where you don't play your best from top to bottom and you still go out and and win all your games uh you know we're probably a year or two removed from south carolina dropping at least one if not a couple of those games this weekend had they played that way uh but they found ways to win a botter looked good in the circle yeah i think the biggest 
surprise and question we'd have moving forward was the fact that Denver Bryant was not in the lineup for them and uh, a lot of and Vodder not hitting um, was expecting to see that. So um, we'll have to see where that goes moving forward. Yeah. Shout out to the freshman Sage Marjetko, who actually led the team in innings opening weekend, trying to trying to get her feet wet a little bit. 15 innings, give up five earned runs, six walks to 15 strikeouts. Now, we're not going to talk a ton about the Alabama Crimson Tide. If you want to hear a very thorough, detailed explanation, check out the Out of the Box podcast. But, but Tom, I did want to make sure that we mentioned the Alabama defense because while every facet of Alabama's weekend was, was strong, certainly in flashes, I thought the defense was overall as consistent as anything maybe we saw in the conference. I mean, Alabama's defense was shut down all over the field in Atlanta. Yeah, over five games, only one error, and that one was a 50-50 call from the scorekeeper, whether or not that was going to be an error or not. But uh, overall, just a great performance. Several SEC, excuse me, several SportsCenter top 10 catches. You have Larissa Pruitt, who in game number five was a defensive replacement, uh, make a grand slam stealing catch which turned into a double play we thought at the time it was a triple play but it actually got the the third out was overturned saying that the runner did tag up so with that went from a grand slam to a possible game ending triple play and you could make the argument that wasn't the best catch alabama had that weekend lauren johnson had one or two that were outstanding her older sister jenna johnson had tremendous ones as well so i think the outfield especially was just absolutely locked down defensively. Um, and, and when you have pitchers that were doing what they were doing, sometimes the, um, the, the opportunities are few and far between for the, for the defense to actually make plays. So, you know, that they stayed in the game, didn't have any issues there. And I was really impressed with Alabama defensively all weekend. Quick comment in from Gamecock fan 23 Denver was injured. Okay, great. I had asked and I hadn't been able to find an answer. So uh, that explains why we did not see Denver Bryant opening weekend. Good to know. Thank you to our viewer slash listener Gamecock fan 23. And if you're listening to the audio version of this, come catch us live. You can join the conversations. Fun times. Fun times had by all. Uh, we're just a couple minutes away from being joined by our big bopper for this episode. But as we continue with the quick hits, LSU. Shut out opening weekend. Just great job by the entire pitching staff, which is to say everyone who started and completed a game, five complete games from five separate pitchers, Kelly Lynch, Raylan Chafin, Emma Strude, Emily Casanova, Sydney Brazon, five for five in complete game shutouts, Tom. And interesting because a lot of things that we'd heard about Kelly Lynch in, in particular was all about what she was doing offensively. Uh, for LSU in the you know, in, in spring practice, everybody was talking about you know that she was going to be a huge part of the lineup, and weren't talking as much about what she was going to do in the circle. And I thought that that was a little bit surprising because I think she was going to be a very big part of this LSU pitching staff. And the fact that she had one of those complete games, uh, I think, kind of, kind of really bodes well for LSU moving forward. Team hit three seventy. Taylor Pleasant's thirteen RBIs on like four hits. Why is it that Taylor Pleasance always seems to do that? Just every time I look at the stats, it's like a million RBIs on like 11 hits. Right. Well, you know, just it's not always about the number of hits. It's when they happen and, and they go well when Taylor Pleasance is doing such things. Georgia. 
Good job. All right. Yeah. Well done. That's what you're supposed to do. Yep. You, you, you beat South Dakota. You beat Murray state twice. You beat Purdue twice. One of those was a run rule. Everything else was like those close games that aren't actually close. The score is close, but it felt like Georgia was in control. Team batting average, maybe a little lower than you would want to see against that competition, but the team ERA incredible at 0.42 Bacchus, Kerpix, Walters, they were all excellent. And Kuma hit 750. Like, even though it was not Georgia's best performance this weekend, I leave no less confident in what the Bulldogs can accomplish. There were there were no performances that, that like were eyebrow raising in a in a negative way either. I mean, it, it was just, you know, you you went in, took care of your business in a frankly kind of weak uh field in your opening tournament. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. We'll see we'll see a lot more from Georgia that we'll be able to make a true, uh, a, a true look at here this weekend in Clearwater. That's for sure. All right. One more team before we get to our big bopper and our big story coming up in just a minute. And then we'll cover the rest of the teams after that interview, Mississippi state back-to-back no hitters on the weekend. And then literally just now run ruled Louisiana nine to one and six. They're playing game two of a doubleheader right now. The Bulldogs lead at two, nothing in the third, which if you're listening or watching the next day, you'll probably know what happened. I hope by then uh, Mississippi state an impressive opening weekend for the Bulldogs. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, a really good performance by the Bulldogs, you know, a team that neither one of us had very high in our preseason rankings, but uh, to go out and to take care of your business in the home opening tournament and a couple of, of no hitters, like you mentioned, but then, you know, today what they've been able to do so far against Louisiana uh, consensus top 20 team, really, really impressive and, and kind of makes you think, Hmm, Mississippi state might have a little something for everybody else. Texas A&M and Ole Miss before we get to Larissa Anderson, who's going to be joining us as our big bopper, our first interview on the premiere. How awesome. Yes. Shout out very to our excited. friend. Uh, A&M avoids the trap. They didn't lose to Lehigh. Good job, yeah. Ags. Well done. You did it. World's best <laughs> cup of coffee. And Ole Miss uh, lost the opener to BYU in Hawaii, but then bounced back. And Lexi Brady, 11 RBIs opening weekend. Uh, both teams, outside of obviously the opening loss for Ole Miss, kind of taking care of business as they should have. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just going to move forward. What's For Ole Miss specifically, you know, that's, that's a, that's a tough travel coming back from Hawaii. So we'll see one, you have to leave Hawaii and then, and then two, it's, it's not a short trip coming back. So uh, we'll see how Ole Miss is able to rest and recover before this coming weekend. Uh, but you know, after losing to BYU, it could have gotten, it could have got rough for Ole Miss out on the islands and it didn't. So uh, good on them. But the biggest story in the conference opening weekend, the five and oh, Missouri Tigers and their head coach Larissa Anderson will be joining us momentarily. We'll be bringing her on the screen in just a second. But Tom, I mean, you beat Utah, a ranked Utah team. You beat a top five fringe top five Clemson team. You get it from everywhere in the lineup. Lauren Krings was incredible. Again, we're going to talk to Coach Anderson in just a moment. But man, oh man, impressive for Missouri. Really was. I mean, to get to get wins over Utah is a uh, a really tough, gritty uh, team to be facing opening weekend. To get that win, and then you know, pretty much 
just handling Clemson. I mean, not not a that was there was no fluke about that. A four one victory that uh, they were they were in control of most of that game. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray and Tom here. It is time to steal second partner with one of our friends. Let's do it. Michelle Smith is here, the ESPN analyst, the Olympian, the legend. You saw her this past weekend on ESPN. Softball was on ESPN opening weekend, which was a big old deal. And then, of course, the Clearwater event coming up this upcoming weekend. Michelle, always good to see you. Absolutely, guys. I'll always love uh, joining you and, of course, talking softball. So uh, it's a great way to, to spend some time. Well, of course. And before we dive into the Clearwater slate, we've got to talk about what you saw in Los Angeles. You called the game for UCLA against Texas on Friday. You called UCLA Oklahoma State on Sunday. Those were two losses for the Bruins. There was another loss mixed in there that was worse than the two that you called. And after opening weekend, I know, you know, we don't want to make judgments for the entire year after the very, very, very beginning of the season, but it's quite clear that UCLA has some issues that they need to resolve. How concerned yeah. are you about the Bruins? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was interesting for me to see UCLA. The, the, uh, the results of the weekend were not um, anything that I expected by any means. I knew that they were going to have a very young pitching staff. That was a given. They only returned 10% of their innings from last year after Brooke Yanez and uh, Megan Faramo graduated. So you knew that they were going to be young in the circle. So that meant that their defense and their hitting was going to really have to take charge to, to help out those younger athletes. And it just didn't happen. And um, it, the snowball effect was very real that once they started to struggle, they continued the struggle and, um, you know, it's a tough weekend. Texas is very good. So they played a doubleheader uh, on, um, I don't even remember what days it was because I'm so tired from my, jack <laughs> my red eye, but they played the doubleheader, struggled in game one, went right into game two uh, afterwards with Texas, and they dropped that game three to two. That was a game that we aired on ESPN. And, uh, you know, a couple of defensive errors that really changed the complexion of that game. Had they been clean on defense, they could have won that game. And uh, obviously that was not the case. So the next day they come out on Saturday. So that was Friday night. Saturday they come out and play Texas again, and Texas run rules them. It was it, – it, Texas just the, – the ball was flying off the bat. I mean, Reese Atwood 
was a monster this weekend. She was outstanding for Texas and the pitchers just could not get any of the Texas uh, hitters out. So you really saw uh, Taylor Tinsley struggle, Jada Cecil struggle. Um, and their freshman KT was being a freshman and, and that's kind of what you expect, but it, it was just tough on the, on, on the flip side for Texas, you know, their freshman on Friday night was just lights out. Um, Kavan was a monster in the circle and I, I think just being shut down with an offense that returns so many players, I think it really kind of set UCLA back on their heels. So Tegan Kavan, like her, welcome to the NCAA softball uh, season as a freshman. I was impressed. The righty was lights out. She mixed her pitches and uh, UCLA just really struggled to get anything going against her until later in the game. And then, uh, you know, Texas has so many great pitchers in the bullpen that, you know, Mike White can just pull out whatever card he wants to uh, to, to shut things down. Um, and so that, you know, kind of rolled into Saturday just being a, a tough game for UCLA, which rolled into Sunday being a, a tough game against Oklahoma State, who played very well. Oklahoma State was 4-0 coming into that game. I thought, wow, I bet. They're going to struggle a little bit. Tinsley's going to be on the circle again for UCLA. And she's a very quality pitcher. And it was the best pitcher so far in the young year that Oklahoma State was going to see. But Oklahoma State just swung it. They got right uh, on Tinsley and put runs up on the board. And it um, it, it just ended up being a, a really tough weekend. I thought the pitchers for Oklahoma State looked good. Ivy Rosenberry looked very good. Lexi Kilfoyle came in and was outstanding. And and so you could tell some teams were firing on all cylinders, but UCLA, I, I felt bad for them and their struggles, especially when they had quite a few injuries that really affected them as well. It shuffled their defense. So it, it, they were overcoming a lot of adversity and, uh, and it was, it was just a tough weekend on them. With Texas and Oklahoma state being world series caliber teams, uh, you can kind of file that away. Okay. Those two teams were playing really well. UCLA wasn't. How much do you take into account the fact that UCLA really struggled against two teams like Maryland and San Diego and just barely got past them? Does that give you even you know more cause for concern than maybe even the losses does? Yeah, that's absolutely a great point. It wasn't just against Texas and Oklahoma State that UCLA struggled. They struggled, as you mentioned, against Maryland, against UC San Diego. So this is a team that's still trying to figure themselves out. I think they're a perfect example of it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Uh, we saw that in Texas two years ago when they walked out of Clearwater. I think it was 0-5, and you thought their season was just imploding uh, in the second weekend of, of the year. And then they come back to be the first unseated team to make the NCAA championship series however they did lose to uh to oklahoma in the championship series but there's a team as a perfect example it's not how you start it's how you finish so if you're gonna struggle if you're gonna have these sorts of issues it's better off in february than in may uh in june so if anyone can turn it around i know ucla can this is an epic weekend coming up for them though at the um um at the shriners children's clearwater invitational I think I said that right. Presented by Evo Shield. <laughs> Nailed it. There we go. That's why she's one of the goats, Michelle Smith. But you mentioned it, you know, UCLA slate is pretty hard in Clearwater. As we pivot to that event, Florida State, Georgia, Tennessee, and obviously improved North Carolina team and UCF in one of the late night games on Sunday. So as you put your analyst hat back on and get ready to call a few of these games, what adjustments do you want to see from the Bruins this weekend against some really, really good teams? 
Well, I think first off, they have to pitch well. And I think if they pitch well, it's going to help their defense be more confident. And I think when you keep your opponent off the board, it at least helps your offense feel like they don't have to, they don't, they don't have to push. They don't have to be under pressure. Right. And, and that they can relax and, and get into the, the groove of the game. And I think when you have an offense that is struggling and then they're under pressure to try to put a lot of runs up on the board, it makes your at bats full of angst instead of being able to play free. So I, I think it's going to start in the circle. They're going to have to do a better job of commanding and controlling their pitches. So they're going to need to work the corners. They're going to need to make their curveball curve, the rise ball rise, um, not make those young mistakes. You know, Taylor Tinsley left quite a few rise balls on the upper inside corner to righties at their hands. And you have to, you cannot throw a rise ball at their hands, you have to throw it above their hands. And so she got burned a couple times on pitches that just weren't up enough uh, in very key counts two strike counts when you can't make those mistakes. Again, those are young pitchers mistakes, probably not thinking about what's the count as you're releasing the ball. I mean, it, when you're a pitcher, you've got to be like, it's got to be in your brain. Like this is a O2 pitch. This is a one, two pitch. So in other words, you know that you're going to put a little extra, extra, a little plus plus on that rise ball. So you hopefully get the swing and miss or you get the foul, you know, tip back, not the home run out of the park. So I think if they start with that pitching and they can be strong, um, it's going to help relieve, re relieve some of the pressure on, on the defense as well as that offense. But Maya Brady and company really do need to get going. And it will also be interesting to see if um, Ramirez, uh, her injury out in right field, to see if she'll be able to be back and um, Nionio as well. So in the outfield, they, they had a couple of outfielders go down, plus a couple of other players that we're not even aware of. I think right now they're, they're battling three or four players that have injuries and, and they're key players, unfortunately, for UCLA. It's quite a field in Clearwater as it normally is, but you got a, a, several teams that are either coming off of having a great opening weekend and then some that had some struggles in opening weekend like UCLA. Like we're talking about Florida State, one of their uh, teams that they're facing had a loss as they're trying to figure out what they have in the circle without Catherine Sandercock. And then uh, Stanford, another team that took a couple of losses uh, over the over this first weekend. They're coming in Clearwater. Uh, what are some of those, if you have a, bad first week and then you have a, a tournament like Clearwater coming up what are some of the things that those type of teams will have to focus on so you know I think it's just playing good clean softball early in the season and and then figuring out when you do get adverse moments adverse moments how are you able to recover because really that's what when you have a young team that that's probably some of the best learning lessons and then you can't check out right and that's so easy to happen so these young athletes that are relied upon for their various teams they're going to need to stay present so that it can be really teaching or molding moments for these coaches to be able to say look okay this didn't go the way we wanted to but next time we're going to try that or yeah you know there's just so many opportunities to learn this early in the season and you know for a team like Stanford they're very good I'm not really worried about them they've got a, a you know great coaching staff they have a, a you know super pitchers a couple of good pitchers in the circle um, even though they dropped two games to Kentucky Kentucky's a really good team I think they're going to surprise a lot of people this year maybe they were underestimated you know you look at some of the athletes they lost last year it's like how do you replace a Kayla Kowalik well you don't replace her I mean that, that that's an irreplaceable athlete athlete, but you hopefully, you know, bring in some other athletes. I think Aaron Koffel is going to have a great year for them. They've got a good pitching staff. You know, if they can stay healthy, I think they're going to be all right. Florida state stubbed their toe in the very first game of the season. It was a 10 inning loss. And again, a very young team and 
Uh, they're going to rely on a, um, and, and when I say young team, I should say young pitching staff. They're going to have to rely on um, McKenna Reed to, uh, you know, to just learn some stuff. Last year as a freshman, she kind of surprised the world because nobody knew who she was. And now they're like, all right, lefty throws hard enough. And, you know, if you're looking in one spot of the zone, it's a lot easier to, to, to hit um, to pitchers. So, you know, I think everybody is going to get dinged up this year because when you start throwing your ace in game one of a double header or, you know, a weekend tournament, and then you've got to rely on maybe your twos and threes or your threes and fours. Uh, and and that other opponent is throwing their ace. There's a lot of teams that can be knocked off. There's a lot of parity this year. Um, so I think we're going to continue uh, more than likely to see that. But I'm excited. This is just a great field all the way around. I think that Tennessee and Texas are going to have good weekends. They've got very hard schedules, um, but I'm excited to see what they can do. I think Oklahoma State is going to be challenged again as well, um, which will be good to see uh, if they can build on the momentum that they gained having that uh, really nice game against UCLA. But I think all the way around, um, you, you got to bring your 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 big shoes, your big girl pants, and uh, and your A game to have a successful weekend here in Clearwater. Michelle Smith is our guest. Michelle, you mentioned maybe your answer to this next question. Which matchup fires you up the most? Is it Tennessee, Texas? Because for me, that's the one I'm most intrigued by. Absolutely. I was asked this question about a week ago by ESPN PR. We were putting out um, some information and everyone's like, what, what's the matchup you want? And for me right away, I was like, Tennessee, Texas, this is going to be a battle. It's a super regional rematch. Um, you know, Texas really felt like they could beat Tennessee last year. Didn't do it. Didn't feel like they played their best ball. Um, and Texas is a team that's young, but they play with some spice and energy. They play with a chip on their shoulder. I think Mike White, um, since the uh, since the double birds uh, a year and a half ago has become a very different coach. I think he plays a lot more relaxed. Um, you know, I, I, I he's a, he, he's just a good coach. His kids love playing for him. And I, I've enjoyed watching them over the last year and a half. I have to say they, they've done a great job and their pitching staff is fire. I mean, they've got five aces on that team, in my opinion, that any other club would just love to have. So I, I think they're going to be great. And then of course, Tennessee, anytime you can say Kiki Malloy and um, you know, some of the, the other amazing offense that they have along with Carlin Pickens and Peyton Godshaw. I mean, it, Tennessee is just a very loaded team and I'm excited to see what they're going to do. Um, Karen weekly, I think is one of the best coaches in the country. She's just, you know, very insightful. And um, I just, I, I, lo I love what she's done with it. So I think Tennessee, Texas is, is absolutely highlighted for me. I think a lot of other people, People are looking at maybe Stanford, Texas, because they want to see Nyjah, you know, thrown against that strong Texas offense. Um, but for me, it's definitely Tennessee, Texas. What are a couple of teams that we haven't mentioned that are in the field that you're really excited to get your eyes on here this weekend? Georgia. Unfortunately, I'm not going to call one of their games, but definitely Georgia. I think that's a team that can swing it. I think it's also a team that has a lot of um, uh just maturity, I guess you could say experience. I mean, they just, uh, on, on, on the field defensively, as well as in the circle, they just can do a lot of different things. And when you, you know, when you kind of roll through their lineup, you just look at, you're like, wow, experience two or three years starting two or three years starting. I mean, it just make, makes a really big difference. Plus a lot of good young athletes, but I'm really excited to see what she, uh, Shelby Walters is going to do this year. Cause I think she struggled a little bit last year, you know, transfer year is her first year. Everything's new, but I think if she can settle in and just roll a hundred ground balls a game, I think that, you know, she's going to be tough with that defense behind her. And she's a great look with Madison Kerpix because Madison is up, up, up. So you've got, you know, you've got all that variation and 
um, and rise ball, drop ball. So I think it's going to be tough for offenses to, even if they have to split games, it's going to be really, really tough. And then, um, you know, they got a, they've got a lefty on the, on the staff as well. So they've, they've got, um, they've got a lot of good opportunities to, to, to play a great weekend. Tony Baldwin, I think is one of the best hitting coaches around. I mean, he just, the oppo G, you know, hitting the, hit that ball inside out. I love it. It's probably, it's the way I hit my entire um, professional career. I just love keeping my hands inside the ball and go on opposite field. And, you know, this Georgia team kind of epitomizes that. Um, so I, I think when you've got a team that can put a lot of runs up on the board and, and quality pitchers, they're just going to be a tough team to beat. Um, TJ, uh, you know, the, the um, defensive coach is just amazing with what he has done as well. He's a great a great recruiter. He's just really helped that program out. And they have a returning pitching coach in Chelsea Wilkinson, who just was outstanding for them. I think she uh, helped them win their very first SEC tournament championship. So she's, you know, back coaching the pitchers and had a great change up. So I think she's going to be making a difference to, uh, to that staff. So I think Georgia, Georgia is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Michelle, I wanted to ask you as well about the fact that, again, we've got the primetime game coming up on Sunday, Florida State, Tennessee, which is going to be a lot of fun. We had softball on ESPN twice this past weekend with UCLA, Texas on Friday, UCLA, Oklahoma State on Sunday. I think a lot of people outside of like the crazy softball heads like us and the people in the media (laughs) just turned on softball and they're like, wow, cool, softball's on TV. But can you put into words how important it is the fact that we had two opening weekend games on big ESPN. And then of course, all the support with ESPN and in, in this Clearwater event. Yeah, this is epic. In fact, um, <laughs> you know, my family and a bunch of people are like trying to charitable events. I had stuff that I needed to schedule in February and people are like, can you do these things? I'm like, Oh sure. That's opening weekend. I never have to broadcast on opening weekend. And then all of a sudden about two and a half weeks ago, um, Nicholas Rudd, our uh, producer, and Meg Aronowitz, you know, I get, start getting the phone calls and I'm like, woo, we are broadcasting on opening weekend, you know, and then you look at um, Major League um, MLB Network, uh, the NFCA opening um, leadoff classic in Clearwater was, uh, they had three games on NLB, MLB Network. So, you know what, the game is growing. We need to continue to grow it. You know, you've heard my rant. We need stadiums for <laughs> all these amazing athletes to be able to play in after they graduate from college, but it's a huge thing. And, you know, if you think about it, and this has been a very wonky year, I guess, with uh, El Nino and weather everywhere. But I think if you look at um, February and you see softball on TV, it's just like baseball on TV. You see the diamond sports on TV. You're like, yes, spring. You know, I think it gives hope (laughs) for everybody north of the state of Florida that like, yes, spring is coming. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the diamond sports on television. So, um, but seriously, it, it is a great thing for our sport. And we just, we need to continue to grow. We need to continue to um, get people to turn their televisions on and watch all these amazing women. And, you know, I'm very grateful and thankful that ESPN continues to support the sport of women's softball. And um, I, we've got a lot of room to go, a lot of room to grow uh, in many aspects of our game. But uh, the collegiate game is, is definitely um, doing a good job of, of captivating people. The only way they're doing that is having all these, you know, top five, top 10 type matchups early on in the season. And when we get to, uh, to mayhem and we get to that selection show, a lot of times these games are the ones that the committee is pointing to uh, right or wrong. That's what they're, that's what they're looking at these early season matchups, especially in Clearwater this weekend. Who do you think needs to make a big statement in some of these big matchups that they have? 
Well, I think because of how weekend one went, UCLA needs to make a big statement here. I think it's going to be very important for them to um, to come in and, and steal a couple games that most people think that they are um, maybe not going to win. So I think they dropped all the way down to maybe 15th in one some of the polls. So, you know, I, I think that this is uh, going to be a very key weekend for them. I think also, again, a team like Georgia, it's going to be important. I think um, LSU can, can prove a lot. LSU is a team on paper that when you have looked at them, I, I mean, they shine when you look at that on paper. I, I think that's a team that could, could definitely make it to Oklahoma city to the women's college world series. They've got great pitching. Um, they've got a very experienced defense. Taylor Pleasance, you know, is going to be outstanding for them. I, I just think that this is a, a club that can just do a lot of damage. Um, if, if they just, they roll everything in the right directions. And, uh, and what I mean by that is that they, they don't overthink things. They use their staff um, appropriately. I think that, um, you know, they got some key transfers, which is a, a big part of that as well. Um, and, and some of their kids that are back are, are just uh, experienced and they just know how to play. I, I think a big cog in their wheel is going to be Kelly Lynch. I think she's going to add a tremendous amount to that program. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they do, but I, I think that they can, uh, definitely make some noise. I think North Carolina as well. Um, Washington, I am very excited to, to see Washington. I think that that's a team that, you know, they probably, they should have beat Oklahoma. Um, you know, if the umpires, if they would have had review, I think they probably would have won that game. That just shows the talent they have. Um, and what they're capable of, it, it just uh, a team with, I think they're only 16 or 17 strong. So they're a little lean on their numbers. You know, when we see a lot of big bloated lineups um, nowadays, you know, or, or you know, roster sizes, uh, that, that's a team that's running a little bit lean. But uh, I'm really excited to, to see them in person. But I think all the way around, um, yeah, UCF as well, Coach Ball Malone is incredible. I love her pitching mind. So it's going to be fun. I mean, I don't think there's a bad, there's not a bad matchup in the bunch. So if you're, if you're in for 40, 40 games in four days, then um, your, your, your heart should be very happy. <laughs> I, I think we're all in for that. And uh, what about a team like, say, not, not one that's looking like a super regional type team, but a team that is trying to get on the right side of the bubble, maybe a team like Georgia Tech, that they have an opportunity to come and play in a field like this. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is going to be a really big weekend for Georgia Tech. They they look good against Alabama. And, you know, they're always, I think, um, just a, maybe one notch away from getting that that break or making that break. And I think sometimes when you're around other really good teams, you start watching your younger players going to start watching and being like, hey, I can do that. You know, it is interesting. It's, you know, the cream rises to the top. And when you're around that cream, you know, or around that top area, you kind of, you get mixed in and you start feeling like you belong. And so I do think for Georgia Tech, um, Coach Morales has done a good job with that program, uh, considering where it was when she came in. So I'm excited to see what what they're going to do. Um, Northwestern as well, you know, they graduated over the last couple of years, some big players, but it's a team that I think can, um, can definitely battle. And so it's just going to be fun all the way around. I'm, I'm excited to see what every one of these programs does um, and the way they react to what happens, the big mm -hmm. wins mm -hmm. and the big losses, right? Because, you know, you know, a lot of times in sports, is it, um, is it, a, a, is it a win or the win? Right. And a lot of times people will get a win and, and, and act like it's the win and then they just fall apart afterwards. And, and so that, that's also learning and maturing as well. 
um, as a team and as a young athlete. Michelle, before we let you go, this was not something that I thought we would have to talk about, but sadly we do. Jordy Ball announced earlier today yeah. that she's redshirting the rest of the year. Uh, she got hurt in the first game of the year. I saw the video. It, I hated it instantly. I felt like I'd seen it before, and uh, it turns out Jordy Ball, an ACL injury, so she won't pitch the rest of the season. Obviously, this is a huge blow for Nebraska. They were counting on her for this year in a variety of capacities. It's a big blow for the Big Ten. It's a big blow for the sport as a whole. Yeah. What can you say about, about this injury to Jordy? I mean, she gets two more years uh, with what should be a hardship waiver because she only played two innings of this season. But obviously, this is this is really unfortunate for a team that a lot of people thought would be on the rise this year. Yeah, it's it's very unfortunate. You know, she had that injury to her arm her freshman year uh, toward the end of the year. So she's she's dealt with adversity. And I think, um, you know, a lot of great athletes deal with adversity. So I, I think she's got a strong faith. She's around her family. I think that, the, you know, the program has already been uh, very supportive of her. So I think she'll she'll bounce back, uh, you know, bigger and stronger from this. And, you know, that that's kind of the mindset you have to take when you do have a an injury that could potentially sideline you. Um, and, and the fortunate part is, is that it, it, it was at the beginning of the year and not like in the middle of the year. And more than likely she would have gotten the hardship, even if it was in the middle of the year, but you, you know how it is. It's you, you can't take anything for granted. So I think it is a opportunity for that team to get stronger in the next year. And um, you know, maybe that puts them in a different, different ability to recruit another year out saying that Jordy's going to be in 25 and 26 and um, you know, with eligibility wise versus 24, 25. So I think there's always a silver lining in every cloud in life and you, you just have to find it. You know, I went through a horrific injury to my left elbow where I was uh, basically told by a doctor I'd never pitch again at 19 years old. And uh, you know, 10 years later to the day of that accident, I was pitching an Olympic game. So sometimes you go through adversity and you don't know why, but you, you, you end up coming out the other side of it and uh, bigger, stronger, better. And you've learned a lot, you've matured a lot and you realize the important things in life. And um, so it'll be a, a, a learning moment for her in many different ways and for the program. And uh, I, I have the faith that she'll, she'll come out of this just fine. I think that's a good message to cap off this interview. Michelle Smith from ESPN joining us on Out of the Box as we steal second. Michelle, I'm sad we won't be in Clearwater to see you in person, but I know at some point this year we will be in the same city. That's kind of how this works. Absolutely. I always look forward to seeing you guys, getting a hug, and uh, talking about all things softball. So it's uh, one of my favorite parts of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Always good to see you, Michelle. Yep. Thanks, guys. So, Tom, that was Michelle Smith. Joining us as we steal second. Always great to hear from Schmitty. Should we talk about some of the big games that she mentioned among others? Right. Now, there's a lot of them in Clearwater. And there's a few others elsewhere around the country we can talk about. Yeah, we'll do that when we round third. That's coming up next here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back. It's Out of the Box post-opening weekend episode, Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, we have begun rounding third. Now, normally we would do a second guess, but in this new era of us hosting multiple podcasts in one night, right? that's a lot to have to schedule for other people. Okay. So the rounding third segment will now be a lot of the other stuff that okay. we need to do. The big games, ACL player of the year, maybe a couple 
power rankings here and there. Not this weekend, but we'll get there eventually. Thank you. We're not ranking. We don't have to rank after week one. So, well, I'll ask you right now, would Kentucky be in your top five SEC power rankings right now? I think after results of first game, first week. Yeah. I think you'd have to put I think so too. Interesting. They're Crazy. going to Clearwater. Yes, they are. Pivot. Big games this week in That's the totally SEC. Oh my gosh. So literally as we record, Mississippi State just won game one of a doubleheader against Louisiana, nine to one and six. As we record, again, game two starting soon. But Mississippi State, solid opening weekend as we discussed earlier. And now to back it up against the Cajun squad that before they lost to Cal on Sunday, I was ready to rank near the top 15. Yeah, so Louisiana, really good team. And for Mississippi State to back up the weekend they had this past weekend in Starkville, not the toughest field in the Alex Wilcox Memorial Tournament in Starkville, but that's definitely a huge win. Um, again, as we're recording, we don't know what happened in game two, but game one, heck of a performance. We might later in the show. We'll see. Might edit it in. We'll yeah. See. Wednesday, Puerto Vallarta also back again, round two in Mexico, Clemson, Wichita State, and then we begin everything in full on Thursday. So, Tom, normally we would pick one each, but we will pick a combined three. So for Thursday, I'll do one, you do one, I'll do one, and then you'll do one on Friday, etc. Okay. Let's a, start a Thursday. draft, if you will. Indeed. Thursday, the first big game that I want to highlight is at 3 p.m. Central Time on ESPNU in Clearwater. It is Stanford and Florida State. Nyjah Kennedy cannot pitch every single game in Clearwater, but odds are she's pitching this one on Thursday. Florida State, you talked about it with Michelle earlier. Pitching was a concern coming into the year, and we leave opening weekend with some more questions about pitching. So now I don't have questions about Florida State's offense, but Stanford's offense struggled a lot. So if there was ever a time to get right, for Florida State's pitching against a good team, this would be it. This matchup just jumps off the page to me. Yeah, two teams that took a loss or two on the on opening weekend, uh, but have a chance in a big matchup to start off Clearwater on a high note. And you know, when you have that type of a game to start a tournament like Clearwater, when you're going to play four or five really tough games, that first game can be really important to see how the whole weekend goes for you. So, could be a huge matchup for both these teams. All right, what's your pick on Thursday? Uh, well, we talked uh, with Michelle about it. Kentucky, North Carolina in Clearwater uh, piques my interest because Kentucky obviously getting two wins at Stanford uh, in week one, just massive. Uh, how are they going to be able to back that up uh, against a very much improved North Carolina team? Uh, yeah, North Carolina, a very improved team, clearly. I, I think Autumn Owen, a great addition. Kentucky, how do you how do you balance the momentum and, and keep it going up as opposed to not having a letdown like Michelle talked about? How do you let wins be just winning a game and not the game? Because Kentucky had two of the quote-unquote the game wins of the weekend and those victories over Stanford. I'm going to highlight a pair of games. This is totally cheating on Thursday. You make the rules. You can do it. Yeah, so Utah plays both Auburn and South Carolina. In Puerto Vallarta, Utah has already lost a game to an SEC school in Missouri. Auburn, as we discussed earlier in the pod, shaky opening weekend at best. South Carolina, not particularly impressive. So Utah has a chance to get right against the conference, and also Auburn and South Carolina has both have a chance to get a high-quality win 
in Mexico to start off their event. The opening weekend for basically all three of these teams, very up and down. Yeah. You know, South Carolina didn't take a loss, but they didn't look as uh, strong as I thought they were going to in the first weekend. Again, it's opening weekend. A lot can happen. Uh, but uh, this is a, those are two really big matchups for all three of those teams. All right, let's go to Friday. You're up first. Well, if I'm up first, I'm just going to go for the big one, the UT versus UT matchup. In yeah. Guy, come this on. is the game of the weekend. Yeah. I mean, all due respect to primetime Tennessee, Florida State, this is the best game of the weekend. So, of course, we got to put it on the Longhorn Network. You can come watch it. Well, actually, we'll be on the air. <laughs> right. Then, yeah. Right. So, never mind. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, two teams that both preseason and from what we saw in week one, uh, nothing to change my mind that these are two of the teams that have uh, the best chance of knocking off Oklahoma uh, come June. Yeah, and that, by the way, is following for Tennessee a game against Stanford. So my question is, which game does Peyton Goshall pitch in and which is a Carlin Pickens experience? Yeah. That could determine which game you win, frankly. Goshall looked great opening weekend. Pickens looked good, but not shut down like she was to start last year. That being said, totally unfair for me to ask Carlin Pickens to throw perfect innings every time she's out there. <laughs> All right. My Friday pick is right early in the morning, 9 a.m. on ESPNU. It's Georgia, Oklahoma State. Cowgirls looked good out west. They had one game against Loyola Marymount that was kind of mad, but they smashed UCLA. They went with a pitch-by-committee approach as well with Lexi Kilfoyle, Ivy Rosenberry, Tyra Acock. I'm curious if that rolls over into Clearwater or if that was just an opening weekend thing. And on the flip side, Georgia – Hello, you've got a chance to make a statement. They play Wisconsin Thursday, but this is kind of the big one on Friday, along with the game against UCLA later on. So Georgia, Oklahoma State, bright and early in the morning too, which is hard, really piques my interest on Friday. Well, it'd be easy for me to take Texas and Sanford, but since we've already talked about both those teams, another interesting one though, out in Tucson, you have Arkansas and Arizona, a three-game series between the Razorbacks and the Wildcats. And... Arkansas, we talked about earlier on the pod, a little bit of a struggle in week one. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, going on the road, well, we've known about that trip to Arizona too, that that can be tough. So uh, we'll see how Arkansas and Arizona uh, face off if, if they're able, if Arkansas in particular is able to bounce back. And there's an argument to be made that Arizona had the most impressive opening weekend of any Pac-12 team. Now, they didn't really play anybody all that strong. And, and, for, and the bar not high right. for the rest of the Pac-12. But – like you said, ball flies out there. Arizona, tough place to play. Yeah. The fact that the ball does fly could play into Arkansas's favor. Right. Uh, they got to get enough pitching to be able to handle what is a good Arizona offense. Let's move to Saturday. What the heck's going on at 9 a.m.? ESPN 2. I'm going to shout out Georgia, Florida State. Bright and early. Look, Georgia, they have – Three games in a row in Clearwater where they can truly make a we are a national championship contender type statement. Now, even if they go two and one, they still can. But Florida State and Clearwater has always been historically outside of, I think, 2020, pretty tough to beat. So this is a great test for the Bulldogs, especially after having played UCLA and Oklahoma State the day before. How does their pitching rotation look? Is this a Lily Backus game? after maybe Kerpix and Walters go the day before. I, I think that that's one that I will for sure have on the television in the press box bright and early Saturday morning. 
in Mexico, Clemson takes on two SEC teams on Saturday. They take on Auburn and then Mississippi State. Mm. And again, some of that will depend on what happens the rest of today with Mississippi State, but Mississippi State playing really well to start things off. And Clemson-Auburn, the rematch from last year, kind of it's kind of a rivalry anyway with you know the Tigers and, and the Purple Tigers, <laughs> Auburn and Auburn with the Lake facing off. So we'll see how that, that goes. But you know, Valerie Cagle, which pitch, which game does she pitch in? How well does Clemson play against two uh, of the SEC teams, kind of middle of the pack SEC teams, but ones that you know as we've seen in the SEC, uh, any of those teams can knock you off any time. I'm going to shout out Texas A&M at San Diego State. San Diego State, a super regional team last year. They beat Kentucky this past weekend. They were knocked out of the polls because they lost some other games. So that's a team that can get you. And this is a fairly even across the board event out in San Diego with a really steady pitcher in Perez for Loyola Marymount, making them dangerous. And then Oregon there as well. But the games against San Diego State feel tricky if you overlook them more worried about Oregon. So A&M and the Aztecs, to me, really sticks out. And what is a very full Saturday? We did not mention Oklahoma at McNeese, which I fully expect the Sooners to win, but kind of a weird place to have to go. And McNeese was literally a couple outs away last year from going to Super Regionals. So not exactly a rollover team. All right, Tom, you get to close us out on Sunday. Pick one. You know... The spring games, we have Liberty and Penn State. Ooh. Penn State, a 5-0 and opening weekend. Rank Penn State, he said. I did not say that. I Rank. did. Oh, okay. Speaking <laughs> in the second person? I don't know. Which tense? Right. Uh, but, you know, a team like Penn State could be one of those teams that could, you know, look to move out of the middle to bottom of the pack in the Big Ten, which is now wide open again because of the injury to Jordy Ball. If they're going to be able to do that, they have to be able to win games like against Liberty. I'm going to look at North Carolina, UCLA. We talked to Michelle. The beginning of this stretch for the Bruins in Clearwater is brutal. So is this a get-right game, or is this the perfect time for North Carolina to swoop in and beat the GOAT program of all time? Yes, Oklahoma is the most recent. Yes, we know. But UCLA has the belt since the beginning of the sport, and – this would be just such a monster statement as they try and get revitalized ahead of the ACC slate this year. You know, you start off there with UCLA schedule at Clearwater, but finishing off with North Carolina and UCF, two teams. Those are both trap games. You no, know, two teams that they're, they're very winnable games for the opponent for UCLA. And there's no worse time to have trap games than right after you're exhausted from playing a bunch of top 10 teams. There is a legit scenario albeit worst case but a legit scenario where ucla does what texas did a couple years ago Mm. and goes oh for clear water that would be as disastrous as anything we've seen in the sport in a really long time because what you're describing ends up being two and eight ucla like the status of the bubble at that point Maybe we'll dive into that later in the overreaction game. No. Oh, oh, look out. Tease. <laughs> was that UCLA UCF? Was that your second choice for Sunday? Well, that and then, of course, as you mentioned, the marquee matchup, Florida State and Tennessee. On, sure. On, you know, on ESPN Sunday night, which that game, you know, Alabama would played in it last year against Florida State a couple years ago. UCLA was UCLA, Florida State. UCLA, Florida State. Right. Actually, Tennessee, Florida State was, I believe, the first year at Clearwater as well. Right. So 
It's usually Florida State and somebody. Yeah. And it's usually a great game, regardless of what's happened the rest of the weekend. So I expect that's going to be just an awesome game on for ESPN showcase at the end of Clearwater. Tune in. Watch. It's a big deal. I wonder who has like that game on the other field that actually starts after that game. Oh, there isn't one this year. Oh, there this isn't is one like true okay. the end. UCLA UCF is on the other field, but it's a little bit earlier. I I, cause I remember last year walking. Wait, Mississippi State and UCF is just starting. What are y'all doing? What are you? It's over. Go we're, home. We're like we leave in the morning <laughs> and we climb down from the scaffolding and everything. We're done. Why are you still playing softball? I somehow avoided not falling and breaking something. And you know what, Tom? I am proud of you. For that. Thank you. For a that. year later. <laughs> We're about to reach the one-year anniversary of you missing Ashley Pringy's home run because you were in the bathroom. That almost hit you. That almost hit me. We could have caught it, maybe. We really could have, which is a lesson to us all. And I think you picked it up because that's what I'd always done as well. When we go to the bathroom, we go when the other team is batting. Yes, not when Alabama's hitting. I have that down. Yes, that is the key. It's up here now. (laughs) Ten years, finally figured it out. (laughs) Let's talk about some people. It's the ACL Player of the Week, our first of the year. You ready? I am. All right, so we've got seven nominees and then one special shout-out that I want to mention. But the seven nominees will be narrowed to two by Tom, and then I'll pick one. So, without further ado, your ACL Player of the Week noms. We start with Jay Beecham, Florida State. Who's surprised? Preseason Player of the Year. And here she is. And never swung a bat in a collegiate game. 8 of 15, 7 RBIs, homer, double, 2 walks, and 3 runs scored. Good. Great. Well done. Alyssa Zabala, Louisville. 11 innings, 5 hits, no runs, 3 walks, and 9 Ks. L.A. Matthews from Houston. 9 of 19, 5 RBIs, a double, 2 walks, 3 strikeouts, 6 runs scored. And I I believe holds the record for most ACL, FGCL games played. Probably. (laughs) Shout out to the Hollywood story, L.A. Yes. Matthews. Michaela Timmons, Ball State, 6 of 13, 3 RBIs, 2 homers, a double, 4 walks, 2 Ks, 4 runs scored. Olivia DiNardo, Arizona, 7 for 11, 6 RBIs, 2 homers, a double, 4 walks, a strikeout, and 4 runs scored. Tori Hedgecock, Mercer, 5 for 8, 7 RBIs, 2 homers, 2 doubles, 6 walks, two strikeouts, and seven runs scored. Dominating performance for our Bears. Yeah, and by the way, shout out to her teammate who had three home runs in one game and nine RBIs, the one protecting Tori in the lineup. Well done. That'll get it done, yes. Jillian Gutierrez, Incarnate Word, eight of 19, eight RBIs, a homer, a strikeout, and four runs scored. And a special shout out to Tarleton's Kendall Daniel. I hope all of you read the story that Repotkey wrote over the summer as she was participating in the MCCL. Kendall went eight and a third innings, 10 hits, six runs, five earned, five walks, and five Ks. But why it's a big deal, she got the start and went complete against Lamar after almost two years ago, having a near-fatal car accident. This summer in the MCCL was the first time she was pitching and playing softball since that accident. Ree's story is great. I highly recommend you go and read it. But shout out to Kendall for the perseverance. She's a great kid, one of my favorites. And to see her get to go complete in her first collegiate action against Lamar, really, really awesome. So Kendall, special, special shout out to you. All right, Tom, 
Our finalists are. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot of more, lot more chances to get Jay Beecham and Olivia Denardo on this list. Wow. So I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to go with Tori Hedgecock from Mercer and Jillian Gutierrez from Incarnate Word as our finalists. That's a great little zag because I thought Denardo for sure was going to be on here. But I'm going to go with Tori Hedgecock being productive, the hits, the RBIs, but also scoring the runs. Six walks, you're getting on base. That OBP has to be just ludicrous. So our ACL player of the week for week one from the Mercer Beers, Tori Hedgecock. And the Skeeters. That's us rounding third. Shall we head home? All right. Okay, let's do it. When we come back, overreaction game. I've never overreacted to anything. Nary a <laughs> response like that in your lifetime, but I wrote some down and we'll do the usual rankings. Okay. Off the wall, Tom's hungry. Yes, sometimes yes. we do go to the obvious place. Right. Sue I'm us. Not going to apologize. Or don't. That's next. Yeah, yeah don't do that, please. <laughs> you won't get anything. I know that much. That's next on the Out of the Box podcast. You're not wrong. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It's time to head home. Roll down your window. Listen to. What's hot right now? Taylor? Uh, yes. Yeah, listen to Taylor. She, Beyonce's doing country, apparently. Yeah, I. so one of the songs is like definitely country. The other, eh, it, yeah. it's... I didn't know Post Malone did country until I saw America the Beautiful. Whipped out a guitar. I was like, wow. He sang at the CMAs once, and I was like, oh. Okay. Sure. Interesting stuff. Yeah, and yet he might not be the most tatted country artist. Shout out Jelly Roll. <laughs> I did like the commercial he where they he was like he woke up he didn't remember what it all had happened. Oh yeah. Someone drew on my face. <laughs> we worked together for 10 years, Jen. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like I would forget 10 years. That's, <laughs> that's like me showing up at Rhodes and you being like, I'm sorry, what are you doing in here? I call the games alone. We're together for eight years, Tom. Okay. <laughs> you should do that one day. I will. That'll be fun. Time to head home on this wonderful edition of the Out of the Box podcast. It's been a great show. Thank you for tuning into this, as well as it just means more softball. A reminder, if you want to hear the interview with Missouri head coach Larissa Anderson, head there on the audio or video platform. She was phenomenal as always. Oh, yeah. Great. Always great talking with Larissa. And what a weekend for Missouri, but it was just the first weekend. And that was certainly a message that she had during our interview. And there will be mentioned in the overreaction game. Oh, ah, we have no music, but oh. we will. We had drops too during the, I was like very dramatic. Oh, oh yeah. It. it was great. Yeah. yeah. It took like three minutes. It's <laughs> audio and video editing has suddenly become very easy. Shout out to CapCut. The overreaction game is very simple. I've got three rounds with three bullet points. I will read the bullet points I have written. Tom, you will tell me. The biggest overreaction, the most middle of the road overreaction, and the least overreaction. So the you're crazy and the well, you might have a point. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Round one, the SEC. Mm. It just means more. Shrug, head tilt. Bullet point number one. Not only will Kentucky and Missouri finish top half in the SEC, they'll both host regionals. Bullet point number two. We were worried about the wrong thing with Florida. Bullet point number three, Auburn will be traveling first weekend of the NCAA tournament. I think the biggest overreaction of those three 
is the first one, Kentucky, Missouri, finishing top half of the SEC and both hosting, hosting regionals. Because only 16 teams get to host regionals. It's true. As, as the current setup is. And great first weekend. I find it hard to believe that both Missouri and Kentucky will be in the top 16. If you had to say one of those two, who would you say? I might have to lean to Missouri because I trust their offense a little bit more. Okay. Is that weird that you just said, I trust their offense about somebody compared to Kentucky? All of that was weird, yeah. but, I, I, but I stand by it after one week. All right, which is the least overreaction of these bullets? Auburn traveling in the NCAA Really? Tournament. Okay. Yeah. Again, only 16 get to host. Uh, I find it hard. I, at this point, I find it hard to believe Auburn's going to be one of those 16. Wow. Offensive issues, man. Yeah. I, I had a bullet point for it just means more softball, but I didn't get to it. Only two Auburn players had three or more hits this weekend. Yeah. The, the offense is going to have to be more productive than that because we even saw Matty Pinta give up, you know, crooked, crooked numbers. I yeah. mean, which is not going to be something I'm not worried that Matty Pinta is going to struggle this year. But the late game issues plus an offensive issue doesn't equal a lot of victories. I think that's fair. Round two, the Pac-12. You specifically requested this. I did. In the car. So here we go. Stanford's offense is the biggest liability of any top 10 team. So I'm, I'm talking pitching, offense, defense of those categories. Stanford's offense is the biggest liability of any top 10 team. UCLA won't host this year, and only one Pac-12 team will make it to OKC. I think the biggest overreaction is that only one Pac-12 team will make the make it to Oklahoma City. Got a long way to go. Yeah, long way to go. Uh, I think Oregon, Washington, Stanford uh, are still very, very legitimate. UCLA has the talent if they get things turned around. Uh, I think there's just too many high-level teams in the Pac-12 for them to only get one. The smallest overreaction? I think it's that UCLA won't, won't host this year. Boy, that would be just... I mean... Do you want to wax poetic about the Bruins for a minute? We watched the entire Texas game on ESPN. We did. We watched, not together, but we watched a, a lot of the Oklahoma State game. We tracked the entirety of the 16 nothing loss at home to Texas on our ride home. Yeah. We tracked Maryland. We, we like we had our eye on the Bruins all weekend, and at really no point was UCLA playing comfortable softball. No. Maybe when they were up seven nothing on San Diego, but then, uh oh, it's seven six. Yeah, because like what we talked about with Michelle, that almost as worrisome of the losses were that the two wins were struggle wins. Yeah, you know, at home on week one against teams uh, that probably won't be in the NCAA tournament. So. That is an issue. And, you know, name me a top 16 host that gets doubled up run ruled at home. I, I don't I don't see it very often. I, I, I'm not sure I could. Yeah. But just some numbers. 227 team batting average opening weekend. Team ERA of 632. Ugh. Again, it was a bad weekend. It was. They're a, they're a talented team. They could get it turned around. But they could play imminently better this weekend and still go two and three. That's true. It's that hard. Yeah. So if you get a winning record out of Clearwater, I say you feel great. Yeah. Uh, but even if that happens, you're still 500. Right. For the year. And, you know, and the rest of their non-conference schedule isn't easy either. Uh, and then the Pac-12 
you know, those are, it's not going to be easy. So I, I think they're going to have to get a lot better and get a lot better results moving forward. If they're thinking about being a top 16, I would almost say a top eight is almost already gone. Wow. Ask me next week. Right. Round three, right. national storylines. One, Oklahoma is more gettable this year. Two, Texas is the biggest challenger to OU of anybody in America. And three, the ACC will get three top eight seeds. Florida State, Clemson, and Duke in particular seem poised, although you could convince me that Virginia Tech is deserving of being in that conversation. All right, Tom, the biggest overreaction is? That the ACC will get three top eight seeds. Just because, again, there are only eight of them. I think if you're talking about a, a conference getting three or four top eight seeds, uh, I think you got to look at the SEC before you look at the ACC. Okay. Not saying it's not out of the realm. I think these are three of the more rational overreactions. Uh, of, look, I try to trip you up right? whenever I can. Of these things. So I, I actually think all three of these are pretty legitimate, but I think that the, the biggest overreaction would be that the ACC is going to get three of those. And the least? Oklahoma's gettable. Okay. And by gettable, meaning they're not going to lose one game in the regular season this year. They will lose at least two games this year. Right. I feel fairly confident after watching them this so, weekend that they will yeah. lose a couple times. <laughs> right. So that is by gettable, not gettable meaning that they're bad right. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Gettable as in they will lose right. at least twice. They'll lose. But uh, probably fewer than eight times eight is like the max in my head right which still probably means that they're number one overall seed right so yeah i am actually including the ncaa tournament in eight as well right or like maybe they lose twice somewhere no the ou people want to come after us but that's that's by gettable i'm not meaning that they're going to finish middle of the pack in the conference and let's be real like two years ago you had what we thought was the greatest team of all time last year you had for sure the greatest season of all time Maybe the more the most complete great team of all time. I still think the the highs of the offense two years ago a little bit better, but like yes, there will be some natural ebb and flow even yes. for Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. We see it across every sport. It happens peaks and valleys, but if your valley is eight losses, right. yes. it's okay. Right. <laughs> That's the overreaction game. Let's stop playing games. Oh no. Let's just talk about the overreactions. Play the drop. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, here we go. It's off the wall. Tom, Alabama goes 5-0. and oh, And here we are. Yeah, here we are. Why can't people just be happy? I don't know. Why can't the sun be out every day. Well, that's another question I had. I Today was the first day I've seen the sun in like a week. I wandered outside. I was like, what? What is this? What's going on? <laughs> Sunglasses? Who? Do you have anything you want to you want to mention for off the wall? 
like I mentioned, we had some some OG off the wallers came back here uh, this weekend. I found it fun and funny that after one day, a total proclaimant of the entire season was mm. made that pitching still great for Alabama. Can't hit after a three nothing victory over Villanova. Again, it was day one. It was freezing cold. Villanova's not bad. Alabama won the game three nothing. We threw no hitter. Why can't we just be happy? And sometimes it's okay. And there was no declaration the next day when Alabama erupted for 13 runs against Longwood. I'd assume if we're making declarations on the entire season based on one game, you would then say after a 13 nothing game that included an eight run inning that, oh, Alabama's offense is apparently the best in the league and the best in the nation. I, I did not see that, unfortunately. No, not, not from our pal BG. Mm-mm. Not going to happen. Yeah. The comment, still no hitting. Same old story. You won't pitch no hitters against SEC foes. Whoa, ho, 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 ho. Wait a minute. Last year, I do believe that Montana Fouts had a perfect game against Ole Miss and a no hitter against South Carolina, right? They're both still in the conference. Uh, yeah. Last time I checked. Okay. Yeah. Actually, if we look, a good portion of Alabama's perfect games have been against Power Five and SEC competition. Yeah. Historically. Mm-hmm. So now, but no hitters are, there are 50 of them. I don't have time to chart them all, but I'd say over 50%. Uh, probably. Yeah. But sure, you won't pitch no hitters against SEC foes. I really, really want Alabama to throw a no hitter against an SEC foe so that I can read that again. By the way, close the comment with Villanova. Isn't that a pizza joint? What? What does that mean? That's what not are, even funny. What are we doing? Yeah. Comedy is not your lane, sir. I'm not sure softball analysis is either. No. Having an unexpressed thought should be in your lane. Mm. <laughs> also, somebody else, only five hits. Oh, Lord. Another season where Alabama's pitchers get no help. One game. Had like 12 or 13 and the 13, nothing. Yeah. The next day. The next one I want to read. So we got to talk a little bit about the situation that happened radio wise on Thursday and then the rest of the weekend. Right. Tom, why don't, why don't you ex- explain? You're the senior of the two of us. You've been here 10. I've been here eight years. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. You, you explain to the people what happened on Thursday. Uh, okay. So uh, as always, we are, uh, on the air, over the air in Tuscaloosa, 97.5 FM. Uh, and we are only on 97.5 FM, excuse me, the first couple of months of the season. Right. We are only in Tuscaloosa. Only in Tuscaloosa, Dad. Just right. reinforcing that. Yes. Yeah, Love yeah. you. So if you go to 90, if you live in Montgomery and you go to 97.5 FM, you won't be able to hear us. That's not how radio works. But so over the air radio, that's why streaming is, is such a, a good thing for us to be able to. So people can literally listen all over the country, all over the world through that MeTV 97.5 FM app. Uh, they had a technical issue on during Thursday's game on the app. So us over the air and our producer back in, in the studio, uh, everybody, we were unaware of that issue because we are hearing what is going out over the air Correct. on the radio. So there was an issue to where random commercials were playing at the wrong time and you weren't hearing the game basically on the, on the streaming. And I'll point out in my eight years... And we've been through a couple of radio stations. I had never heard of that happening before. Right. It was, it was, a, it was one of those things. It was able to be fixed during that game and it should be fine moving forward. We had no issues the rest of the weekend. Right. 
we did not know that there was an issue at all until we were being told about it on social media. Basically. Right. Which, Shout out David Bernie for right. the text, which we appreciate uh, the people that came to us alerting us to the situation. Yes. There were some things that were said that were not appreciated, Correct. Uh, but uh, we appreciate people letting us know because again, there's no way for us to know. We have to relay it to the affiliate. And the affiliate didn't try to take care of all wall still calling the game because right. we were told that for people sitting in the car in Tuscaloosa, it was working perfectly. Yeah. So we couldn't just stop. Right. Because We'd the game's going. still going on. Yes. Right. Yes. So there we go. So that, so that was what happened. So yelling at us on social media, not helpful. I got a few of those. Yeah. Cause again, there's nothing that we can do about it. Right. Once we get on the full network, on the full Crimson Tide Sports Network, which will happen in April, you'll either be able to listen on Meet TV 97.5 app that's still going to be going. Correct. Or you can move over to the Varsity app, which has all Learfield stuff on it. Correct. Not, not going to be an issue for Learfield ever, and it shouldn't be an issue for Meet TV moving forward. Yeah, I feel like we've had that addressed. Yes. So all is well on the radio broadcast, but there were a couple games streamed real quick. As someone who will be calling games on streaming this weekend, we we love when you tune in. But when we are advertising the radio broadcasts, I really don't appreciate comments on those advertisements expressing joy that you can watch. If you're if you're syncing them, great, yeah, right? But like the, the oh no, radio only. Sorry. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I would like to point out again, a lot of teams do not have no. radio. A lot of teams don't have streaming. They and definitely don't have radio. Ole Miss and Hawaii. Did those games happen? Yes, count? because we have stats, but yeah. there was no way to listen or watch. Yep. All right. One more comment about the TV thing as well. I wanted to put this in here. They should show every home gang on TV and every Alabama TV station should show every Auburn and Alabama games, period. Every one of them? What is an Alabama <laughs> TV station? Side note, every home game is watchable. Like that's the great thing is you can watch it on linear or digital television. Yeah. I know I will be doing many of the digitals this year. Tom and I will be multi-platform excellencing it on Saturday. Tom on Sunday. Right. Riding solo, Jason Derulo style. (laughs) Insert Millhouse gif throwing the Frisbee to himself. I don't know why we keep having to, to do right. this. I also don't want to see another damn comment about Alabama needs their own network like Texas. The mm-hmm. Longhorn Network was a failure. Abject. Failure. There's a reason it is shutting down. In the pod we did on Softball America, somebody specifically requested that Texas, Tennessee be moved off the Longhorn Network so they can watch the game. <laughs> So, no, Alabama is fine as part of the SEC network right. where everything is watchable in some capacity for the most part, unless we're at a place that is not under an ESPN contract. Right. Longhorn Network so bad, Texas said, you know what? I would rather join the SEC network than have my own. They said, we out of this contract. <laughs> and every Alabama... So you're saying like CBS 42... Fox six, all of them should show every Alabama Auburn game. <laughs> what if somebody wants to watch the floor or Survivor or the Super Bowl? What is an Alabama TV station? <laughs> like, is that like PBS? Is that like shout out to uh to Mike Royer? Is that the channel where they do the scholar scholars like that yeah, channel right. on Saturday mornings? It could be. But what about those kids? Those right, kids should be deserve- on TV. 
Come on. To answer questions about the Roman Empire on television. <laughs> and shout out to Mike Royer. Yeah. I was texting his son, Jack, and I was like, how is your dad doing this? What are these words? <laughs> what? Uh, fun times. Also, uh, one other thing about the streaming. So ACC Network Plus was showing mm. the Georgia Tech-Alabama games. Yes. They were showing all the Georgia Tech games. Two of them were against Alabama. Right. We had the ending of the Alabama-Georgia Tech game. Indeed. We had one review. After that first review, streaming said we're done. They went for 40. They were out. They 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 said we've had enough of the swag <laughs> right. and the juice. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, that was not the end of the game. Yeah. There was a second review. They came back. They overturned the triple play into a double play as we talked about. Alabama's official social media, Facebook and Twitter, were alerting the people because streaming had <laughs> had had turned off. Yeah. Uh, if you weren't listening to us, you didn't know the game wasn't over. Social media for Alabama trying to alert people, hey, the game's not over. People are arguing with the official account of Alabama softball that the game was over when they're saying, no, it's not. That's pretty bold to argue with the, with Nathan Sheehan. Who's your source, Tom? Yeah, us. We were there. <laughs> that the, the people that are there are saying something happened. And no, because you saw this, the streaming turn off. Nope, it's over. It's a real dangerous precedent to set for yourself. <laughs> Don't argue with Alabama's official social media accounts. I'm sure we, following the game, live tweeting the game, are aware of what's happening yes. at the game. That we are there at, watching, yes, covering, broadcasting. Why do people just argue, just want to argue? I don't know. I I too wish the game ended with a triple play because I I was fond of my call of it. It was good. It was a great call. I was super bummed that the GoPro died like right three minutes before the triple play because that truly might have been our KJ Haney out the window moment. Right for because I sure. don't I I I'd have no idea. I'm pretty sure I had the faces the, that we made. I had the surrender cobra of shock happening, but in a positive way. I've never seen anything like that because, like I said, it would have been Alabama's first ever triple play in mm. program history, and it was to win a game after stealing a grand slam away. My call, also, I forgot to say what happened. It was just like, caught. She caught triple, triple play. play. <laughs> that, that was it. I, w- I forgot. Oh, wait, I was supposed to tell people how it happened, but then I did. And you can hear it now yes. on the Out of the Box podcast feed. Take a listen, <sighs> but don't argue with us. We were there. We can tell you what happened. Tom, there were other people arguing with you too, but that's not like the point of this segment. <laughs> this is true. And we've got a new audio drop to intro it. Play the drop. Time for Tom's Hungry. Yes. Tom, take it away. The bar for Tom's Hungry has been set incredibly high. The evening with the shipments and all their smoked meats of all types, unbelievable. Would you like a bacon-wrapped scallop? Yes, I would. After all the pictures, when I got home, my wife said I'm not allowed to eat a carb for like three or four days. As I am pumping insulin, just thinking about as much food as I ate. Yes, it's softball, blah, 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 food. This is the food segment. Yes. Why were people mad about this? Oh no! Why do we have to be mad? You don't have to eat it if you don't want it. You're not there. <laughs> Looking at your phone, just keep You're eating ramen. I would rather have the burger. If you might have eaten better than me that day, fine. Congratulations to you. I'm sorry I subjected you to food you don't have to eat. 
or be at. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Why? Why are people like this? I don't understand. This is not the first time either. We've been to restaurants and people are like, terrible mistake. Like, I enjoyed my meal. Let people like what they like. Why can but we're here for five days? I will make it to your barbecue restaurant. <laughs> anyway, Tom, uh, anyway, yes. why why were you hungry and what were you doing to successfully assuage that hunger? Right. You know, again, because of just the timing, the our game schedule, where we were staying. It's not like we got to do a whole lot of our normal Tom's Hungry-esque type things. Right. But we did, you know, there was a lot of good stuff just right around us. True. So shout out Starbucks. Yes. But after our Friday games uh, went just down the road to uh, Ralph's, was it Ralph's? I don't know. I showed, I was so tired. I, I asked you, we were sitting there. I know. I, took I said, picture. what's this place let me, called? Let me, let me check it to make sure. And you and Nate said, IDK. <laughs> so we went down the road to raise New York pizza. Mm. Cause what do you want when you're in Atlanta? New York pizza. Of course. Larissa Anderson would be proud. Yes. But it was very good. I was, I was happy with it. Uh, apparently we got in right before they closed because actually a couple of players came in afterwards and they said, no, the kitchen's closed. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, got the, uh, got the meat pizza, which I'm a fan of ate about half of it and ate the rest of it for breakfast the next day. You got, how big was yours? It was a medium. You got a personal. And yeah. I got, I got, I got a, the next, size. I got a personal cheese. It was very good. It was like, it, right. it hit the spot. Yeah. I didn't need a ton of food because of the medicine, but I was also starving. So, right. and I was very tired. I, it was great, but it, but it was New York style pizza. Like you had to fold it to be able to eat it. Correct. Yeah, is exactly what I wanted after that that type of game, but that type of day. Next up, we're in Atlanta, Georgia. We're like walking distance to it. We didn't, but we, we didn't, could but have. We could have. I'm sorry. I'm going to go to the varsity. Yeah. And I don't know why people are upset that I went to the varsity, but I did, and I liked it. It was fine. I had a good time. I enjoyed my burger. Yeah. Got the uh, got the number two combo, which is the chili cheeseburger and the chili cheese dog. Put the slaw on the chili cheese dog fries not good for me but it was good food <clears throat> sorry to jennifer i could right. have done better <laughs> i just got the uh the bacon cheeseburger simple some fries mm-hmm. oh, i think i got what did i drink water i can't even remember i was editing the gopro the whole time yes. but it was great it, it's it's a famous place for a reason yeah, right and uh, one of the many reasons is that the food is pretty good mm-hmm. and also shout out to us for getting there like three minutes before just Ooh. a horde of children arrived. I know Nate got the frosted orange, which had we gone a second time, I probably would have gotten. But yeah, good stuff. Varsity. I don't think anything that we had in Atlanta is going to end up on the podium at the end of the year. But which we kind of expected. It was yeah. it was going to be kind of a touch and go weekend food wise. But just know if I'm there in Atlanta for an extended period of time, I'm going to go to the varsity and I'm sorry. Or you're welcome. Or you're welcome. Who's to say? Yes. You don't have to come with you, the listener, right? Uh, okay. You can come I was with like, you. I, what do you mean? Right. No, no, you could come. <laughs> We're I mean, usually those, going right. to eat at the same place. That is correct. Because <laughs> one of us is driving, the other one doesn't have a car. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yes. Shout out to my vehicle. <laughs> That's it for this podcast. I really don't have anything else. Okay. This weekend, we've got the Bama Bash two games Friday, two games Saturday, one game on Sunday. We are literally everywhere. If you are thinking, how can I track this tournament? Without hearing from Gray or Tom. Impossible. You crazy son of a gun. Can't do it. It is impossible. Yes. Tom, I will be doing the plus on Friday with Kaylee Tao. 
We got a lot planned. It's going to be fun. But then the rest of the weekend, the plus is CTSN on Saturday. And on Sunday, you are radioing on CTSN on Friday. We're back together Saturday. Roundabout way to get to to answer the question, Tom. How can people tune into the radio? Yes, if you are listening on the radio in Tuscaloosa over the air, 97.5 FM, also nick975.com or the MeTV975 app. Again, all the streaming issues that we had on just the first game uh, have been rectified. We should be good to go. We good. Forward. All good there. Uh, so again, Friday's game, St. Thomas, uh, 3.50 airtime, Virginia, 6.20 airtime. Again, that is pending weather pending two games happening before right so there may be some movement along there so just say with minor grays uh, social medias or alabama's official social medias we'll keep you up to date on game time and air time for that saturdays uh 10 50 a.m for the first game against st thomas 120 for game two against virginia and then sunday is at 12 50 against southern indiana yes and again saturday sunday if if that app is just too dang hard for you, ESPN app is yep. also there. So if apps aren't your thing, I'm sorry. That's the way information is dispersed in the year of our Lord 2024. A lot of people are tuning in somehow. You're gonna have you're just gonna have to figure it out. And like you said, Tom, our social medias will be active. If the people want to see the inevitable delay tweeted out by you, where do they go? On the X slash yes. Twitter. T Canterbury RTR on Twitter. At out of the box underscore pod for the show at gray G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson for me. If you're going to listen to Tom at the very least, come hang out on my Twitter when I do the pregame video with Tao, because I, I don't know what we're going to talk about this year, but I, this year I'm doing like different, not skits, but like asking random questions. It's fun. So just come and check it out on the Twitter. And by, and by the way, award-winning analyst Kaylee Tao. That's right. In fact, do you know how many awards are in our little because we won team radio, right? Tao won newcomer, newcomer of the year. Right. You were nominated. I was not. Shout out to Oklahoma and their two nominees. Right. It's, uh, a- it's fine. Kaylee Tao won. We both lost a lot of text. That's so it's right. Fine. Bro is here. She won. Look, it's 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 like the best of every world. Yes. You can't go wrong. However, you track the game. Just don't argue us when we tell you what's happening in the game is happening. That's right. We're not lying. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Shout out to our guest, Michelle Smith, Smitty. Best of luck this weekend in Clearwater. Going to be a heck of an event. Tom, as we as we wrap up this episode, softball's here. We have a week of action. And now week two is about to go ham, as the kids say. I mean, we've already seen Mississippi State beat Louisiana twice as we wrap up. They have swept the doubleheader. So... In a year that we expected to be topsy-turvy, especially in the conference that we cover the most, so far, that has proven true. Yeah, we've seen pretty much everybody in the SEC get at least one, if not multiple, big wins. You know, it's as much high-level parity in this conference as we've seen, and we've seen a lot of upsets. The sirens have been blaring from day one. Remind me to tweet about that just a bit, by the way. So, you know, every game is important. Uh, If you don't think a game is big, just try losing it. So let's keep on rolling. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Out of the Box podcast. See you next time, everybody.